What kind of stands out in your mind uh, about that operation? Uh, it was the second time we went into that area. The first time we went into it, we got into a big gunfight. Um, DJ had gotten shot in the plates on the first time. PC-130 gunship was shooting the roof. The guys were under. They couldn't get off, throwing grenades, PKs. Everyone's going to sleep, lights are out, and this boom goes off. Uh, and when I say boom, it, I thought our tent blew up. One memorable op was up in the Konar. We did some really good work that night. We walked up that valley going after a specific target and it was a gunfight all the way up for like five, six hours and things were just clicking. We went after the target but we ran into problems and we dealt with them. I remember at the end of it I looked at my TL I was like, are we going there? He's like, you haven't had enough? <laughs> no. This is what I signed up for. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. He spent just short of 18 years in the United States Navy, all of which with Naval Special Warfare and seven of those with the infamous Naval Special Warfare Development Group. He's got a bronze star with V. He's got multiple JCOMs and presidential unit citations. He is the co-owner of GBRS, which is Global Battlefield Research Solutions, as well as uh, a founding member of Tribe Skates, which is an art therapy-based skateboard company uh, with the primary mission of helping Gold Star families. He is Jake Gyllenhaal and Bradley Cooper's love child with a NASCAR racer's name. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Cole Fackler. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming, man. I appreciate you taking the time. I know uh, you and the, the GBRS crew are busy as shit, and I know you're here for uh, another event, uh, but I appreciate you taking the time to, to sit down with us. Um, I have to ask, what is your, your EDC go-to gun? Actually, the whole loadout, like for a, a normal day. Uh, EDC, I mean, it depends on clothing. Right now, my favorite is the uh, Spectre Comp 365 XL. I shot that thing recently and got it, and... It shoots like a dream. I mean, it's thin, carries 12 rounds. Is that 9 mil? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, do you, are you a proponent of the red dots or uh, night sights or any uh, lights on it or anything for your personal carry? On EDC, I love uh, red dots. I mean, any pistol. Really? Love, love red dots. Yeah. Did you roll the red dot operationally? I didn't. Yeah. No, it was just coming around. And um, it, it, was a, it was a hard transition. Like, I liked iron sights. People were like, no, try this. Like, I don't want it. Yeah. Nope. Once I switch to it, no oh, awesome. uh, Are the do you know are the guy are a lot of guys using them now operationally? Can you say? Yeah, that? I mean, like most gun companies, like they're coming with that option now. Yeah, whether you want it or not. One thing I'm always curious, like for me, and, and granted, this has been a while, but um, I always preferred the Trigicon Reflex because there's no battery, and you know, it's it's the tritium; it's always on. It's, you yeah. know, it lasts a hundred years and whatever. Um, do you know of a of a pistol red dot or tritium sight company that, that has that same technology, or are they all the long range battery options? Uh, I know Hollow Sun has some. Um, uh, what's that? Self charging. Yeah. Um, like the, solar. So, yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, shit. Solar and, and some red dot like rifle red dots too. Yeah. Or solar and recharging. Um, most of our life cycles. I want to say battery wise around nine, 10 months, yeah. leaving it on mid power. Yeah. 
a lot of questions we get too are like, what do you prefer, Leopold, DP Pro, Aimpoint, Acro, SIG? Honestly, it's on the end user. There's yeah. different eyesights, offsets. Yeah. Um, dominant eye, not, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a big proponent of it. Yeah. Um, how long did it take you to, to get comfortable switching over to it? Because I'm right there with you, like having always shot with iron sights or night sights. Uh, for me, I was like, man, this is just, it's just too much going on. It, it took a significant amount of time uh, training with it just in the day. Yeah. And then you bring in the night vision and passive shooting. Yeah. Which is a thing. Yeah. Um, it, it took a while. And two, some of the offsets on, you know, Glock angle, pistol angles, vice sig, and how they show up in, in your eyesight where you draw. Uh, there's different preferences, but yeah. try and kind of s- stay well-versed you yeah. know, with the different groups we train. Yeah. Uh, do you have a, uh, a favorite group that you've trained thus far within GBRS? Call, call some other people out. Yeah, there's some. We Actually, we trained uh, HSI team in San Antonio this last January. Oh, really? Their culture um, is like like being in SEAL teams again. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Like, they have kind of this unit symbol, and it's it's kind of this underground thing that it's like their little culture and group, and like those guys are amazing. Um, Horry County down in South Carolina, those guys are great. Yeah. Um, and you can really see when, when teams gel together and they, they've created that bond. Yeah. Do you ever work with groups that you're like, holy fuck, how are you guys carrying guns? I'll say they're just less Maybe. trained or they're not full time. Yeah. Um, it's not that holy fuck. Are you guys not, or not like carrying foreign. guns, but you mean foreign or yeah. I mean, not like foreign special forces where you're okay. like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just part of it. Unfortunately with the training, they hit the bare, bare minimum calls. Like yeah. <clears throat> the bottom of the rank doctor when they graduate still called a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm tracking. Uh, do you have a favorite non-U.S. spec ops group that you've worked with? Uh, or who, I guess who do you respect the most that you're like, man, these guys are fucking legit. I wouldn't want to go against them. I mean, all those guys, but uh, the U.K. guys have a lot of time working with them, and they are impressive. But, I mean, I didn't get a lot of exposure. I mean, the French, the Grom, the Italians, the Australians, um, the South Koreans, like, all of them, you know, hardworking, super talented guys. But I mean, I got the most time with the UK guys, and those are those guys are impressive. I almost learned the hard way. You, you can't joke about the Queen. Really? Oh yeah, no, <laughs> not a, not at all. Like oh, they shit. are ready to take their kid off and start fighting. Get the fuck out! I, really? I threw out a passive joke one time. He's like, uh-uh. uh, uh, nope, <laughs> nope, you don't go there. That's a, I, I, to me, I can respect that. I think that's yeah. actually kind of cool. Absolutely. You know? That was the first and last time yeah. I ever made that joke. Yeah, that's fucking, that's awesome. Yeah. So it's not like here. I mean, I'm assuming they bust the prime prime minister's balls, but, but the queen is like your mom, right? Like really you just don't to joke too much about that. Really? Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, here it's like, yeah, I mean, pick a fucking president. Like yeah. there's memes and jokes and deep fake videos with him sucking cock or what. I mean, like there's a, a ton of crazy shit. Um, the family. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, good on, good on you, England. Nice work. Uh, what was your go-to skateboard or in this case, I guess, maybe surfboard as a kid growing up? Did you have like a, that, that's my jam model wise. I grew up surfing on shortboards. Um, I started surfing when I was about first, second grade. Oh, wow. Naturally small anyway. So a five, I think my first surfboard was like five, seven. Uh, my parents instilled at a very young age. I had to, uh, earn everything I got. So 
I worked all the way through second grade. I remember it. Like I had to have my grades and every quarter I would get like 25 bucks. And really? Go, go to the surf <laughs> shop. My, my board's on layaway and, and get it and finally got it. That's awesome. And, um, but yeah, short boards. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite childhood memory? There are a lot. Um, what comes to mind first? This one. Um, I grew up swimming, competitively swimming. I was the only child. And for whatever reason, my parents were okay with me chasing hurricane surf on the East Coast. <laughs> like Your that's parents when, sound that's when the surf cool. came up. You yeah. know, any East Coast surfer knows that. Yeah. And so we were down in North Carolina, and uh, there was this pier, and the waves were breaking like three rows out. And you get past the second row, you had to jump off this pier. It was like 30, 40 feet. I'm 13 years old. And my dad's like, so what are you going to do? I was like, well, I got to jump off there. He's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yep. Uh, it, it sounds like your parents were pretty, uh, pretty badass parents. Yeah, they were. Still, still a good relationship with them? Yep. Yeah. They live about five minutes away from us. Oh, no shit. That's awesome. Uh, on a normal day when you're in town, what is your typical morning routine for the first two, three hours of the day? Wake up at five, get some coffee, head to the office, um, work out six to seven. Head back home, link up with the wife, get the kids ready for school, um, drop kids off at school, head back to the office, and take care of whatever um, chaos is going on there or not. Um, get home, depending on 6.37, dinner, hang out with the kids, put them to bed, and try and get some time with the wife. Yeah. Do you, uh, workout-wise, is there a, a particular methodology that you you stick with or i've gone around the gambit on you know you got to have 25 inch biceps to just functional strength and yeah and you get injured and hurt yourself you can't do that kind of stuff we've been doing a workout program i say off the record because now it's a, a actual subscription workout program but we've been doing that workout program now for about three four years yeah a guy named vernon griffith super well known super talented you know human performance coach that everyone from Michael Phelps to NFL athletes I'll reach out to and, and try. So he runs our programs um, and he's great at the mobility aspect, but you know, the small muscles that you need to continuously strengthen. Um, and we're always throwing our backs out our necks out and just, yeah. he keeps us moving. Does he work with the, the former command also, or he does not. Um, he's worked with NSW yeah. and, and a lot of soft units. But he's in our office full time Monday oh, wow. through Friday. Oh, yeah. So I mean, full time on staff. And so does he do all your programming? Yeah. Like, you yeah. just show up and he's like, "This is what you're doing today." Yeah. So we he, he runs all the programs now through something called Train Heroic, um, and it's I mean it's on our website too. And it, it's what it's created too is a community. So guys that you know s share the similar injuries um, can relate to it, and it's kind of a not only kind of a talking board but community, and it's good. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. I know. Uh, I mean, when I, when I first came in, you know, it was the late nineties and, uh, like back then it was, you know, you grabbed a muscle and fitness magazine yeah. and did, you know, chest and tries back and by his legs day off, you know, and it was like, there was no auxiliary stuff. There was no mobility stuff. And guys were constantly tearing rotator cuffs, you know, pulling their fucking groin. Like it was horrible. You know, yeah. it was like, you'd go for a run, swim, run, and then you'd, you know, lift like your Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, it was just stupid, but it's, it's really neat to see the. Uh, the progression of, of knowledge base that exists within, especially the special operations community through, you know, it seems like CrossFit was a, was a 
hell of a catalyst, love it or hate it. You know, it, it, I think it did play a, a big role in kind of springboarding into special operations units, at least as far as the mentality goes to work on more, more functional based stuff, you know, but, um, diet wise, do you prescribe to a, a specific program or I'm the worst at eating. <laughs> I, I usually, yeah. uh, eat about eight cups of coffee a day. Yeah. Chew, chew it down. Yeah. I like, I don't follow the macros. I did do a bodybuilding thing in my younger, younger days. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I try and eat something that's all organic or natural and not yeah. overeat, but I'm, I'm terrible. Don't I like, yeah. don't look at me and follow my <laughs> diet. <laughs> that's awesome. Do you have a, a favorite guilty pleasure? Man. You know, my nickname is fatty, right? I didn't. Well, I mean, I, I see that in your, your Instagram handle. Are yeah, you, a, are you a fat kid at heart? I, I, yeah, yeah, I am sweet. Were you like, fat growing up? My mom it's still a dental hygienist. So like sugar and all that stuff. I, they, they tell everybody and tell these jokes about how I used to hide candy wrappers under my pillows. So they'd find them. And so, uh, sounds like my kid. Yeah. Uh, mint chocolate chips, always a good one. Dark chocolate skills. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I Man, that's priceless. Yep. Um, and, and I guess, you know, back to the morning routine, when's the first time that you eat or do you just, it just whenever, like sometimes it's first thing or like, doesn't sound like you pay real close no i don't yeah i don't really eat and it's kind of i guess what people call intermittent fasting um i don't really eat or do anything might have a protein shake mid-morning yeah may have lunch may not um may snack may not and uh wait for dinner yeah (laughs) so it's kind of fly by the seat of your pants yeah i mean we've gotten a little bit better on eating during lunch but yeah like i just i'm not a model yeah uh, so, I mean, where does the nickname Fatty come from then? So, it, what people don't realize is during the holidays, you actually get a break at Bud's. So, yeah. in between second, third phase, I got to go home. <laughs> and, came back uh, and like, who's this guy? My mom fed me, <laughs> and I didn't move, and I came back about 20 pounds lighter. And DJ, DJ have been together since Bud's. He looks at me. He's like, "Jesus, fatty," and it literally <laughs> stuck ever since. I like oh, when we checked into Team Ten. Like, I broke my leg. I was weighing like two forty-five at one point. Oh, wow. Lost enough weight to where I was down to one sixty-five and couldn't lose a name. <laughs> no shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a trip. That's fucking navy for you, huh? Yeah. What are the two key components for canine success? That's effective training and proper nutrition. Fueled by Team Dog brings those two components to your family and best friend. The perfect nutritional balance that results in a higher mental acuity, energy, overall vitality, and even an improved appearance. Every product you will find in my company's store was born from the battlefield and not from the boardroom. Let my life's work help you become your dog's hero. Uh, where are you originally from? I'm originally from Norfolk, Virginia. That's crazy. I did not move very far well, yeah, away. And, and you're an East Coast team guy the whole time, huh? The entire time. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, what was growing up there like, uh, both just kind of family dynamic-wise, as well as being so close to such a heavily influenced naval city? Uh, was there a, a correlation with your dad or anything, or, or what was that like? No, both my parents went to a local college there at ODU. Um, my mom's brother was a SEAL in Vietnam. Some of my parents, mutual, I say mutual friend, friends, um, were in the military. Some were SEALs, and you know, that's how I met some of them. Oh, okay. Had that influence. 
So you had a, an uncle that was a SEAL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did uh, Were you close with him at all growing up? Yes and no. It's uh, her old, only brother, but oldest uh, sibling. Um, and he was kind of in and out, just he, would, he didn't live locally. Yeah. Um, had a few other kind of mentors and, and SEALs at that time that I was like 12, 13, 14, and yeah. kind of took me under the wing a little bit. And one actually, when I finally decided I want to sign up, he put on his uh, khakis and went to the recruiter with me. Really? And he was at development group. No oh, shit. Wow. That's cool. What year was that? that? Uh, 2002. Wow. That's right. wild, man. Um, did you talk with your uncle much, uh, about any of his experiences or was he pretty closed? He was really, really closed lip. Um, there are some pictures of him rescuing one of the Apollos. Oh yeah. Back in the day. Um, yeah, but wild. I couldn't get anything out of him. Yeah. Well, um, when you decided to join, did you get any input from him then? Was he at all more interactive with you? Or? He was excited for me. Yeah. I think he knew the adventure I was getting ready to start. Yeah. Um, 9-11 had just happened, but, you know, the Iraq invasion hadn't happened. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he was excited for me. He was supportive. Yeah. Did, have you uh, talked with him much since then? Like, Yeah, we see each other time to time. He definitely wants to catch up, and yeah, he's excited to hear um, – you know, some of the stories I can tell him. My mom has this old school photo of him on a sub somewhere, but like when it was on the surface, I went by the fridge one day and looked at her. I was like, where'd you get that photo of me? I looked back at it and she was like, that's not you. <laughs> I thought it was me. I was like, what did I do? Really? Yeah. Dude, that's wild, man. We look a lot alike. I never knew I was on a submarine. What yeah. The fuck? I avoided those things like the plague. Yeah. That's got to be really cool. Uh, putting myself in his shoes, like seeing your, your nephew especially in the time that you were in and, and what you did and accomplished, like that's got to be pretty awesome having been a Vietnam yeah. frogman and see one of your family members doing that. that that's pretty cool. Um, so you grew up surfing uh, and skateboarding a little bit. Were there any other sports that uh, kind of dominated your childhood at all? Swimming. I swam competitively right. year round. Did you start early doing that? Really early. Yeah. And I, my parents had me in swimming just purely so I didn't fall in the water and yeah. they didn't have to worry about me drowning. And yeah. They gave me a lot of opportunities um, across the board on any sports, music, anything. Yeah. I was the only child. And um, my dad really wanted to provide what he didn't have. And so they gave me a lot of opportunities. But swimming was a year-round thing. Was that with like a USS club? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a local one, but traveled um, and did all that until I was almost 15, had shoulder surgery, first one, and found out that practicing seven times a week, doing doubles, um, there's a thing called women. <laughs> what are those? Yeah. Yeah. You know, hitting puberty in high school. Yeah. And, um, yeah. I did a few other things, but yeah, I mean, I played soccer, baseball, kind of the seasonal stuff. Yeah. What, uh, what was your, your event in swimming? Sprint 50, 100. What was your best hundred time? Was it meters or yards? Yards, uh, like a 49. 40, yeah. 49, five. Yeah. And, uh, were you a sprinter, a 50 sprinter as well? Yep. Like yeah, a low 20. Just under 21. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's quick. I, I swam too. Okay. Yeah, but I was I was kind of the jack of all trades and, and master of absolutely zero. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I was just kind of like, hey, we need somebody to swim the, the this event. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll do it. But how much did that help going through butts? Like, you didn't have to worry about Well, anything. no. So here, here's the irony with that is that, uh, you know, I'm from Iowa, and I so I had never been in the ocean. The first time I'd ever been out in the ocean was at, at, at Bud's. And, uh, you know, so every swimming experience that I had, I'd ne- you know, I'd never been in the surf zone or, or past it. Mm-hmm. 
had never swam in, in open water, not with a, a crystal clear black line on the ground. So I couldn't guide for shit. And I never swam with fins either. So I actually got rolled for swims in third phase. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like I went to state and swimming and, you know, I was a strong Still swimmer. zigzag. Yeah. I, I couldn't guide for shit and, uh, and, and wearing the fins, having not worn them at all. Uh, and, and having swum, swam so much with, uh, without them, uh, we never used even like the little cheater fins or, or anything. I don't know if you guys did, but, but for me, like it, it fucked my ankles up bad. And, uh, I also pinched my sciatic nerve right before I was actually up at Laguna during the land nav phase. And, uh, and so after that, once I, I injured myself doing that, I failed everything after that. And swims just was the first thing that I failed three of, but, um, was that the first time you saw the ocean? No, I'd, I'd seen it before. Uh, like we'd gone to Florida on vacation, like to fucking Cocoa beach for like spring break one year. And, uh, I'd been to California, you know, once, maybe twice, but I, I'd, I'd never, never was in it. You know, I, I was just curious. I always hear these stories about, you know, guys yeah. going through buds or whatever. The first time they see the ocean, yeah. they show up to buds. Yeah. Or like dudes at, at uh, Benning. It's like the first time they've ever been on an airplane. They're mm-hmm. jumping out of it. And like, <laughs> holy shit. Um, yeah, no, it wasn't quite that bad, but like I said, I, I never was out in the ocean, you know, um, and especially like the boogeyman swims where, you know, like swimming in the bay or out in the ocean at night for the first time. I was like, what the fuck? You know, it's uh, kind of creepy. Oh, so that surf, that was good. That was why I loved, loved it. Yeah. People thought I was crazy. Yeah. We get surf tortured and I knew there was like surf going <laughs> off. So I just go out there. That's awesome. You got something on your nose just by the way. That's right. <laughs> My coffee flew up and fucking... Tried to give me a nose in them. If I got a booger, tell me. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll, I'll let it wait a little while. But, um, were there any uh, events or, or things that transpired during your childhood that were super impactful, uh, either way, good or bad, that, that really stick out as being uh, life-changing? Um, you know, a, I think a couple. One was definitely shoulder surgery when I was 14. Um, it was a, I guess, first kind of transition ever had to deal with. Um, I was definitely at the top of my game and and swimming on a projection. Um, and that was definitely a, you know, a life changing at that age event on your hurt and having to recover and surgeries and is your dream or your vision going to keep going? Are you going to change the road and track that you're on? Um, I mean, we're competing at a super high level. Like, I didn't remember it, but my parents told me, like, I was swimming against Michael Phelps and beating him. Really? Yeah. I I mean, I was just naturally gifted, kind of those athletic kids. Um, So that was definitely a kind of defining moment. Um, But swimming, the entire progression of it, I had great coaches. um, That would always push us to mentally, I mean, like, physically, your body, you know, um, will perform. It's a mental breakdown. Yeah. And so they're always pushing our mental performance. And I think that's what helped me, you know, through buzz through today that yeah. it's a mental game. Um, physically you can get prepared, but yeah, I think especially with swimming, it's, it's a lot like uh re- or it's kind of like wrestling and that it's a very individual sport. Uh, and in a lot of ways you're kind of competing against yourself. I think, you know, swimming, especially that way, but, um, you know, there's, there's such a disconnect socially comparatively to every other sport that, that I, I do think swimming is unique and that it does require a certain level of kind of self-motivation and, and the ability to push yourself cause you're, you're isolated, you know, yeah. and it's, it's just you and, and the water and 
no yeah. excuses. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's a tough sport. No, no two ways about it. <clears throat> um, at what point was there kind of that light switch moment for you in high school where you you really knew this is what I want to do and, and join the Navy? I didn't really. I grew up swimming at SEAL Team Two pool. Oh, really? That was part of uh, one of the pools that we would swim and practice at for you know kind of summer season. Mm-hmm. I was kind of always around it. Um, Little Creek and those bases. So I was always exposed to it. It was a cool an idea in theory. At one point, I wanted to be an architect. And, you know, being a SEAL was something. Just like being an undercover cop was something. Um, I didn't really, I guess, have that aha moment until I graduated high school. I actually went and worked for my uncle. Um, I was working construction during the day and on loading docks at night in West Virginia, uh, believe it or not. And, um, is this the seal uncle or a different one? The seal nope. uncle? No, no this is like basically my cousin's father-in-law. So I yeah. just kind of call him my uncle, but working two jobs, living on my own, um, 18 and really getting in bad trouble. I wasn't getting in good trouble. Um, <laughs> is there a good trouble? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I told my parents I didn't want to go swim in college. Didn't go to college. Need a break. Like some of us do. And, did that for you know three four months and didn't really like how things were going always want to be undercover cop you can't be a cop until you're 21 and i was 18 i was like okay um i think i'm gonna try this navy seal thing and if i fail um because i did the ma mastered arms thing in san antonio yeah so that was my my a school it was two weeks it wasn't like the <laughs> armor six week or six month course i was like yeah. two weeks i'll go yeah and um, that's scary. You know, worst case, it was a plan that you know I'll be out in four years if I don't make it. And yeah, kind of do that uncover thing. Um, but yeah, when I was in West Virginia, living on my own, I was just like, my parents had instilled enough in me that I knew I wasn't on the right track. Yeah. And, um, how how did they uh, respond to that decision? Were they supportive? Or were they kind of mixed? I'll say mixed. Mixed. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, they were okay supportive, with supportive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it just not something that they would choose for their only yeah. son. Yeah. What do they think about it now? They're proud. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they look back at kind of some of their friends' kids. How did they turn out? How did I turn out? Um, but no, they're proud. I yeah. mean, they got one son and four grandkids. Yeah. I can't beat that. You guys have four kids? Oh, shit. Um, that's awesome. Um, all right. So you, you end up joining. You go through the rigorous two weeks of MA training, uh, and then you show up at Bud's. Um, Give us kind of the, the synopsis of, of the Bud's experience from from your perspective. I was underprepared in the sense that I knew there was hell week. That's about it. That was it. <laughs> yeah. My, yeah. Uh, yeah. Were, were you crushing the swims? Yeah. Swim, yeah. Like, swims for me were just, it was like a relaxing time. Like a rest day. Yeah, most guys yeah. freaking out. Well, like, so part of growing up too, like, my parents were in a triathlon, so since I swam, we would do these family team triathlons where I'd swim, dad would bike, my mom would run or whatever. So I knew how to guide yeah. um, in open open water. So it was just, that was kind yeah. of the easy thing. Easy day. Was, was there a particular uh, event or evolution that, uh, that really kicked your ass? I fucking hated running. Yeah. Were you bad at it? I wasn't great at it. Um, I mean, were you, so many runs, I was like, sprint? I hope I hit a pothole and break my leg. <laughs> <laughs> Soft sand runs. Um, but, I mean, you're living on million-dollar real estate on the, the coast of California. 
can only be so bad. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, did anything um, kick you in the nuts more than you were expecting? It's hard to kick a 19-year-old in the nuts physically. Um, I mean, I just, I'd been through so much already in the sense of waking up early, performing, um, yeah. you know, swimming-wise, that waking up early, performing wasn't bad. I mean, I grew up on the beach surfing. Don't get me wrong, budge is extremely hard and difficult, but um, nailing down one thing, uh, dealing with officers. <laughs> that's, yes. a, that's a big amen oh, right yeah. there. Huh? I asked Mike Sorelli, Nick Norris, those guys. Yeah, they. Uh, I know Nick Norris. Yep, they. Nick was my my swim buddy the entire oh, time. Yeah. That's a trip. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, all right, so you go through buds, make it through, never got rolled. Um, Honor Man or Waterman's no, Guild Nick, or anything? Nick, Nick Nick held me back from making the <laughs> Waterman's Guild. Um, I know he's one of the most talented physical specimens ever, yeah. but he couldn't keep up with me swimming and yeah. held us back from that. But oh, shit. We won't talk about that. Ain't that a bitch. Yeah. Uh, all right, so you finish up at that. What class was that? 247. So. Uh, four. What's that? 04. 04, yeah. Or essentially after SQT, like yeah. we checked into Team 10 in 04. Yeah. Uh, I, I showed up uh, as an instructor there uh, right around that same time. I think uh, when that class went through, I was I was on convalescent leave almost the entire time with Valley Fever. but Because yeah. um, I was at SQT in 245 and then showed up at Bud's at like 48 or 49 maybe. But um, but. Um, at that time, you still went through. Did you still go through Benning for, uh, for jump school, or yeah? It's always a good good experience. Uh, and then from there to Team Ten, you said no. After Benning, we came back into SQT. Okay. Uh, anything stick out in SQT that's worth worth mentioning, or pretty run of the mill? The size of Grizzlies. <laughs> oh, up at Kodiak. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, those things running all fours. They're still bigger than the car that you're in. Yeah. Or you go past their. Uh, their brush that they've broken and laid in. Yeah. Those. Fucking sure. bad news. Um, um, so what from about San Clemente, though? San Clemente, the surf there. Yeah. And doing all the Jap Scully. Yeah. I remember this one night. Um, I don't know why they had us do this. It was for some reason. But we had to go through the surf with our rucks, I guess maybe to make sure that we didn't have any leaks. But the surf was like 10, 12 feet. And uh, I was having fun. Like, it was just... It was a blast for me I yeah. going through surf and <clears throat> that stuff. But I remember Nick and I getting through the surf and we look back and I think there's maybe one other person. <laughs> so we went back and would help, but that, that was yeah. a good time. And the, the size of lobster that yeah. you could catch. Yeah. Sacramento is a neat place. No doubt about it. Um, so a- after SQT, you check into team 10 yeah. you said you, did you say you broke your leg earlier? Yeah. Our first trip was to Shaw's and uh, Fort Knox. We had the good 15 passenger uh, van pool, <laughs> the van know, fight. Oh yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and you're uh, a new guy. At Knox, I broke my leg jumping out of a house window. No oh, shit. Yeah. Took a gear shake out, <laughs> snapped it right. Man, yep. how long did that put you down for? Eight, eight weeks, twelve weeks. Um, linked back. I mean, I was a brand new guy too. Linked back up with my team. You know, eight, ten weeks or so in land warfare. Picked right back up. Didn't miss. I mean. Yeah, physical therapy and stuff. Remember on crutches, trying to jump through VBS, VBSS training, just kind of keep up and learn. Yeah, as a new guy and just see. So yeah, 
so with SEAL Team 10, did you? what was your first deployment like with them? There are a lot of unknowns, expectations. Um, I mean, we were on a C-5 landing in Baghdad like we were on a fighter jet. Really? Oh, yeah. Like They're like, pack your bags, but have a bag ready. Like, we may have to, like, put the ramp down. You have to jump out and, like, have your shit on and go. And it's like, okay. <laughs> this is what, 05? Yeah. 06? Yep, 05. I was like, I guess we'll see how this goes. Um, we we did, uh, it was a mixture of PSD for some of the, you know, government officials and at nighttime DA stuff. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, with it being your first deployment as a SEAL, I mean, it sounds like, from an ideal standpoint, like you kind of got right after it and got, got yeah, right yeah. balls deep into the action. Right. I mean, yep. yeah. Um, how, how did that uh, affect you operationally? Like, was it uh, received well? Did it, um, was there anything you struggled with or, or was it pretty like, Hey, this is fucking awesome. And, and you enjoyed it. A mixture of everything. Um, I remember on one of our first mission briefs, they're like, gave it to us. Then, Probably half an hour later, they come back and say, it's 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 too dangerous. I remember looking at my buddy. I was like, what the fuck do you mean it's too dangerous? Like, this is what we signed up for. Yeah. Dangerous is what we signed up for. Um, so that was, again, I was 20 and wrapping my head around what they meant. And obviously now I get it. But that was kind of a letdown. Um, reckless, you know, being young. Not, yeah. not fully understanding the picture. Um, but the high level of things that we did... Um, and the outcomes that, you know, we're still searching for WMDs, right? Um, wanted to validate that. Yeah. Um, what uh, area of Iraq were you in? Doing everything out of Baghdad, Biop, um, Green Zone, in between. Yeah. Um, were, you, uh, were you also looking for any of the, uh, the card, card guys? Or, uh, or like, I'm sure passively at some level we were as a brand new guy just trying to suck it in yeah. and uh, perform correctly. But, yeah, I mean. We were, but um, it was a good, it was a good pace. I mean, you had a pretty good routine. You'd wake up, um, get a brief, kind of what was going on, work out, shower, get another brief, put your shit on and go. Yeah. Come back, eat, and repeat. What was, uh, what was your collateral duty or, or job within the platoon? As a new guy, I mean, just general assaulter, were helper. You, were you in a department? Comms. Comms. Yeah. Did you go to comm school? I did. Yeah. And JTAC. Is that, is that your favorite? There are parts of it that are good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Parts of it are good, but um, you get yourself into some positions where um, now you're like a warm blanket and yeah. they want to keep you right next to you because yeah. you can control the aircrafts. Yeah. So it keeps you out from being up front. Yeah. So. Um, were there any specific operations uh, on that first deployment that stand out as being super memorable? Yeah, we did this one out of Shark Base, and um, there were a number of teams that kind of came together for this thing. Uh, I think Jocko was actually, like, the amount of people that were on that app that I had no idea were on that app, it's just, I mean, it was amazing. Um, I think Mike Cirelli was there, like, a number of guys. And we all came together. Um, you're talking about four different teams. I can't. Total number doesn't really matter, but a lot of people came together and it was, you know, effective and successful. What uh, what was the the general mission set? I mean, just going after bad guys. Like 
it was someone specific. I, I can't remember who, who exactly it was, but um, it was like 25 Humvees. Oh, shit. Yeah, over 100 SEALs. Um, it was like a 15-minute ride out off Shark Base. And um, DA at night. And just a logistical nightmare, but worked out great. Yeah. A couple of gunfights. Yeah. Did it, uh, were there any casualties on your guys' side? No. Uh, none. And uh, how many, how many uh, KIAs or, or bad guys, I guess, were you going after? Do you know? It was like 10. I think there were like three KIA. I think there are a few gunfights in houses, there are a few turret gunfights. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, on the big scheme of things, it, we treat gunfights as just like it's a normal thing. Um, yeah. But that was eye-opening. Uh, but two of those turrets aren't like they were now. Yeah. They're open-aired, no strike plates, just a 50 and yeah. a bunch of a shells. bad attitude. Yeah. Um, did you get any, like, close range, get into any close range engagements with uh, with enemy fighters on that first deployment? No. None? Nope. Do you remember the first time that you that you did where it was super up close? Does that stuck out? Yeah, it wasn't until like 2011. Oh, really? Okay. Well, we'll we'll get there. Um, going back to that first deployment, um, it sounds like overall it was it was pretty successful. Statistically, um, do you recall how many uh, how many missions you went on and and kind of what the what the score was at at the end? Just like this many missions, and we you know recovered this these many uh, over. Prison- I mean. Point in were about six months, seven months. Um, you know, I think it was close to 200 ops. Wow. Um, I think you almost average over one a day. Yeah. You'll do two. Um, I mean, the EKI totals were, you know, always in the 100 plus, sometimes 400 plus. Wow. Depending on if it was kinetic, what was going on. Um, and they kind of, those numbers continued to elevate um, through 08, 09, yeah. 10. How many deployments did you do with, with Team 10? Uh, four. Four. Yeah. Were they all to Iraq or did you do some Afghanistan? All to Iraq. I augmented and went to Afghanistan in 08. With the uh, development group? Yeah. Um, I guess before we talk about that, um, were there any close calls and or Losses on uh, on any of those four deployments for for you and your guys. Yeah, Red Wing. Yeah, I mean that, that was our sister platoon. Uh, oh shit. Yeah. So you were you were there when that happened? We were in Iraq. Yeah. They're in Afghanistan. Yep. Yeah. Deployed at the same time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What? Um, <clears throat> and as a com guy, I was always the one that was supposed to get the news and the weather. And I went in that morning, and they're like, "Something's happened." Okay. Like, what is it? Like, go get your platoon chief. All right. When you heard it, what uh, what did that do to you? Mm. Like, what was your first first reaction? Couldn't really grasp it. Um, you knew those guys really well, right? Some, yeah. I mean, I was, I was. Because you didn't know the names, or they were, weren't even giving us the names um, in them. Um, but yeah, like couldn't grasp it. We were getting very little information. Um, it was still very dynamic. Um, 
they hadn't found Marcus yet. You know, they're having a hard time getting guys up there. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, and you look at the evolution of war and technology and how things progressed. Um, it, <sighs> it's hard. Yeah. Would uh, would it be fair to say, or or I guess an accurate depiction that uh, going back to work after hearing of that uh, was difficult, or was it easier to focus on something other than that? We're pretty good at compartmentalizing. Yeah. Um, to the detriment of most marriages. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Like compartmentalizing it and just you got a job to do. Um, I felt bad for my mom. <laughs> just, uh, because she, she's so worried about you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I can imagine. I know, uh, I put my mom through hell, uh, you know, and, uh, I fuck, I probably still do honestly, but, yeah. um, that is, that is tough, tough for moms. No doubt about it. Yeah. Um, so w with those all four deployments to Iraq, so that's what, oh, oh, five, 07, 08, 09, 10. Yeah, I mean, 07 wasn't any better. Um, similarly busy? Similarly busy. Turned over with Team 4. Turnover up. Clark gets killed. Uh, Mike Day gets shot. Mike Day gets shot like 20 times. Walks on the helicopter. Yeah. Um, were you, that, you were there for that? or? I wasn't there. on. I, I was there in the jock. Like, cause they yeah. basically were doing a turnover with our sister platoon. But I'd done some with them. Um, then um, on that deployment too, that was when Jason Raymond got shot in the face, um, and some of those guys up in Karma. Yeah. And uh, were you augmenting then or no? No, so I mean that was our our platoon at Team Ten. Oh, okay. With Jason, those guys got shot. No eight. I was were, augmenting. Were Were you there uh, during that then? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess having heard uh, heard that story from him. Uh, and you being through it, what what kind of stands out in your mind uh, about that operation? Like how, how how do you reconcile it all? Uh, it was the second time we went into that area. The first time we went into it, we got into a big gunfight. Um, DJ had gotten shot in the plates on the first time. Um, AC-130 gunship was shooting the roof that guys were under. That they couldn't get off, throwing grenades, PKs. Um, so we knew that area was shitty. Um, on the, the second iteration when that whole thing happened, we uh, landed right on the X just time. Um, didn't allow us to do it, you know, walk in. Went on the X and not much was going on, but like typical uh, air calls out that some guys left an area and walked into a field. Um, and so the ground force commander rounded up a group of guys and said, go check them out. I stayed there. I was a comm guy. So this is where comm guys <laughs> gets, kinda get gets the shaft. <laughs> like, yeah. I sit there with the ground force commander. Um, and so, you know, they walk out there and we've done it. We've done it a million times. Yeah. Can't find them or you find them and they're just laying there. And Air said that they didn't see any guns, nothing. They just walked out there and we're sitting there in kind of a cornstalk high field. And comms were distant enough. I couldn't really hear their calls. And, um, Gunfire just opened up. Um, I was definitely felt helpless, but you know they 
were able to handle what they needed to handle. As, as much shit that was going on, um, glad none of them died. Um, but yeah, it just, I mean, that gunfight felt like it took forever. Yeah. And those AC-130 pilots, I don't know if they have any closer drops than they do from that night. I mean, they got flying crosses, like top awards, like wow. amazing. I think they dropped like within like five, seven meters. No oh, shit. Were, were you calling those in? No, uh, Jay was. Okay. Jay Aliasin, um, he was the JTAC that went with that group, and he was calling them in while he was dragging Redmond back. Wow. Um, were there instances as a comm guy <clears throat> where you uh, called in air support and, and uh, in any type of similar situation like that? Like, were there times where you saved the day, so to speak, of, uh, of calling shit in? I wouldn't say calling shit in saves the day or... I was never in a situation where calling shit in saved the day. I mean, yeah, I called shit in, um, but it was always part of a, you know, fire maneuver yeah. thing. And honestly, that night is why I was on that track to go to JTAC, and I was in JTAC then in 07. But after that deployment, like, I got it. And then when I went on the augment, yeah. I, I went there for JTAC. That. Yeah. Um, for those four deployments, uh, did you yourself have uh, any – combat-related injuries or really close calls? Um, we're kind of in a helo crash, sort of. Kind of? Kind of. I mean, <laughs> a hard landing, crash, whatever you want to call it. They had to blow up the helicopter because they couldn't move it. Um, that was definitely a... What sucked. happened? Uh, I don't know if it was a mixture of a brownout or what it was, but... We hit super hard and kind of all Fucked got dazed, knocked out, and fell out of the helicopter. Uh, actually, on that op with Redman, and when he got shot in the face, I fell out of the six. I was the last guy getting out of the 60. <clears throat> and fell out of it about 15 feet. Really? I had one of those big, what, prick 115 or whatever, like 25-pound on my back. Yep. And you fell out. Did it, did it fuck you up? Oh, yeah. I was walking around. So it was like I'd already broke my leg. I already had two pins in that, like. So, I mean, those were it was just kind of always continuously building on more and more impact on your body. Yeah. Um, any uh, any close calls shots-wise? Yeah. I mean, rounds skipped around. Um, RPGs flew by. Um, 08, you know, we did some other stuff in, in, the, in the augment and continuously just learning by the fire hose and tactics, equipment continuously changing. Um and what I learned in 08 was like, hey, like, here's what's going on. Or, you know, just so we were able to preserve ourselves. Yeah. You know, stop the rescuing uh, terrorist yeah. objectives. Like, you know, guys would just kick doors in and run right in. Um, yeah. And we just kept evolving. Um, 09, I mean, so like 07, you know, there were some other deaths. Uh, 08, you know, a few other guys got killed September 11, 2008. Um, when uh, on on the 07 deployment, uh, guys from your your task element or yeah, uh, Jason Lewis from Team Ten. Yeah, yeah. What happened with that? And uh, were, you, were you there? When it took some EFPs into a Humvee and didn't make it. Another guy took an EFP in his leg. Um, but yeah, some guys got pretty messed up there. Did uh, were you there on those? They were in 
southeast of Baghdad. We were in Fallujah. Oh, okay. Uh, did you ever run into any uh, close calls IED-wise, personally? Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, sure I, as fuck. I, I got to go through the Rolodex. Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. Um, yeah, we we landed on the Exus one time, went into a house that had nobody but a freshly poured concrete in the center of the room following a trail out the door. We sprinted out of there before yeah. it blew up on us. Did it blow up right after you got out? We ended up dropping on it. We ended up dropping on that. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Because we landed on the X. They didn't know we were able to get out of there before. Yeah. yeah. That was with the uh, development group, I assume? No, that was still at Team 10. Really? Yep. That was at Team 10. Um, yeah. Later on, on other deployments, we had some houses blow up on us. Um, yeah. And other shit like that that kind of dazed us you know, getting in that big gunfight and that kind yeah. of stuff. But. Um, w- with all the, the SEAL Team 10 deployments, um, is is there an operation or two that, that stand out as being, if you were to think of it, say, from almost from a movie script standpoint, that kind of stand out as being that consummate textbook example of, of a SEAL mission that you guys went on that you could walk us through? And I'm going to ask the same thing about the, the other command, too, yeah. so... But I'm curious that, you know, obviously there's a disparity between Team 10 and. I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, I think some people don't understand, like, you can't chase it. Yeah. Like, you can't chase epic gunfights. And gunfights aren't necessarily epic. Were you in any that you would consider epic at Team 10? No. I mean, I shot my first person. Um Bad guy, whatever, Team 10. What were the circumstances of that? We were coming up on this village, and a guy was running kind of laterally at us with an AK and a chest rack. Um, and I just ended up getting the first shot off. Yeah. Do you remember what you were carrying? It was like a Colt M4. Yeah. <laughs> the good stuff. Yeah, the good stuff. <laughs> and I was... <laughs> I always attributed this one to uh, skeet shooting. Really? Because I was leading them. <laughs> no shit. I w- I'm not a big skeet shooter, but for whatever reason, my dad wanted me to start shooting skeet with him, and yeah, it was like that. Like, so your dad saved your life on that one. I'll give him that. One. <laughs> what uh, was it? One shot? Yeah. No shit. Yeah. You know where you hit him? In the head. No shit. I will say that was luck. Fucking Christ! How far away was he? Fifty yards. No shit. Yeah, at night. Dude, that's impressive. Shitty night vision. Shitty yeah. lasers. That's really impressive, man. That's. Fuck. I won't call it skill. I'll call that luck. <laughs> Still, yeah. I think it takes. Uh, we'll call it skillful luck. About skillful that. luck. Um, <clears throat> uh, I, I, of course, with what I do for a living, I have to ask: Did you guys uh, implement with dogs at all during your Team Ten deployment? Yeah, we did. They started coming online. Um, late oh seven, early oh eight. We had them in oh nine. What was your first experience with them, or, or how did you receive your first experience with them uh, overall? Uh, their capabilities on paper were great. Um, the actual dogs and their training, if they were capable of doing what they did, was mixed reviews. And, you know, with tactics evolving, implementing dogs, like when's the right time, the wrong time, because, you know, they've been used the wrong time, and it's kind of like sent them to their death. Yeah. Um, and you know, 
I know Jimmy Hatch and kind of heard his story with dogs and they're great. They're a great tool. Um, you just can't use them recklessly and understanding a good time to use them and not. Yeah. Um, I thought they were extremely valuable. Yeah. Were there instances where you guys used them on operations where they made a significant impact that you can share? I can't like name a specific one in the, in the instance of like, holy shit, thank God. Cause there were so many. Yeah. Yeah. Like there were just, there were so many once we got them online and understood how to use them. Like, it I mean, was, especially at development group, but yeah, even with team 10, yeah, even yeah. at team 10. Yeah. We, we actually gave one of our dogs a mohawk cause it was so hot. <laughs> in Iraq. Like we had to cool them off. Like they're giving them IVs and you know, right in between their shoulder blades. Yeah. Before these long yeah. offsets, so they wouldn't dehydrate. Um, Fucking mohawk. Was it a Malinois? No, it was a German. German Shepherd. Yeah. Got you have any pictures of that? I will get some for Dude, you. Dude, that's fucking. We gotta we gotta enter or inject that into the into yeah. the show if we can uh, for YouTube. That'd be that'd be great. Mm -hmm. um, you know, most people are are familiar with kind of the two main capabilities of either explosive detection uh, as well as the apprehension side. Um, were there instances uh, operations where they're up, you know, snaking ahead, and and they managed to uh, indicate on a uh, on an IED or something of that nature where it, it changed the course of yep. the operation? Yeah, like I a mean, lot of fifty fifty. Yeah, you know, if, if we run across something or not, and even everyone respected that, you know, that dog, you know, sits or gives a signal on it, like it's a serious thing. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, it was. Countless yeah, times, yeah. yeah, yeah, countless times. Yeah, how about on the on the apprehension side? Did while at Team Ten, were there operations where dogs got some solid bites? Yeah, yeah. You remember any of them? I remember definitely a couple. Yeah, um, some guys that are you know bedded way back and in, in in the targets and houses and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and almost two in, in protecting the, the innocent people caught in between. Um, but yeah, there are a couple daytime bites. What were the, uh, the circumstances? I hate to say a typical gunfight, but a few times we're out during the day and um, they send the dog and the dog gets on a bite um, and gives you enough time to address the threat. Um, Specific stories. There, there's some in 08 that during the augment and daytime stuff that we we're doing. Um, not to give a, a lot of details, just sensitive, but they were utilized very well in in multiple fashions of day, night, and different terrain. Yeah. Were there instances where uh, the dog, without any of the assistance of human beings, neutralized the threat by themselves? Yep. Do you, uh, what what happened? I mean, not not asking tactics wise, yeah. but just like if he came in and grab, like where did he grab him, and, and kind of what happened once he he engaged. I guess the the easiest way to describe is that it looked like you know how great whites flip up seals. Yeah, it looked like the dog was doing that with the body. <laughs> oh shit! Yep, it's a, a big fucking dog and a small guy, or I'd say a medium sized dog. Yeah, about a hundred fifty pound guy. Oh shit! I mean, you know, like they're yeah. amazing. Yeah, like, they'll jump over. SUVs and hit somebody like yeah. a linebacker. Like what? Uh, where did he grab him? Do you remember? Hit him on the inside of the leg, and then shoot on his neck. No shit. 
Did the guy not make it? No. Yeah. Uh, was that from the dog or from uh, the guys coming in afterwards? I mean, both. I mean, yeah. it, at, it got to a, a point where they had to neutralize the threat because it was going to become a very, um, it, it was going to become damaging to the dog. Oh, okay. In the sense of like him hurting the dog. So Yeah, I got you. Um, one of the, one of my favorite, uh, applications that, especially like if you see it on, on, uh, you know, FLIR or overhead type imagery is like the squirter control, mm-hmm. you know, busting out to a flank kind of thing. Uh, did you get to witness any, any of those applications where a dog chased somebody down fleeing out the back or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, there are a couple of those. Um, and dogs would hit, hit those guys and basically just hold them until they wrap them up and address yeah. them. Yeah. Did you ever get in a suit and do uh, any bite work? done it once and that yeah. was that was enough that was enough <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. it's just intense no doubt yeah. about it was it a uh, development group dog no that uh-uh. team pin dog? it was like kind of it was like one of those fams i got you, you know how you get sprayed with like oc yeah. and it's like a fam yeah. it's like everybody needs to put on the bite yeah. suit and get a fam yeah i got gotcha. you um did anything go horribly wrong with the dogs uh, on any of those operations oh, yeah when they fucking nip at you <laughs> yeah so you got bit nipped yeah like you smell like a bad guy it's dark yeah it's pretty dynamic they they get they get amped up too some of those dogs you put that harness on them it's a light switch and they're ready to just yeah ready to work yeah that's fine that's cool yeah um all right so i guess how would you kind of wrap up or synapsize your your time at team 10 and then going on to green team and development group Being at Team 10 was humbling. Um, learned a lot. You know, I was 19 to 24. Got married, got divorced. Um, got to augment. Was know. it that fast? I got married and... Yeah, like, isn't <laughs> everyone's first like that quick? Mine wasn't. Mine was 16 fucking years, but... Uh, yeah, I, like, you know, I was, I think, 21 and... Yeah. Whatever. Um, live, you learn. Yeah. Yes. Um, learned a lot, like just trying to figure out what it was like to be a SEAL, um, what I enjoyed doing, how I can help be an asset to the team. Kind of just from my childhood of always wanting to be better and strive and be better. And now I'm not an individual sport. It's a team sport. And where can I go to become part of the best? Yeah. Um, It just got to that point where I was comfortable where I was at and wanted to continue pushing my limits and yeah add value and grow what was the augment with dev group uh was that the catalyst that made you want to go there yes yeah can you can you speak to that because i know that's a very common question that gets asked i think uh outside of our community to our community is, is the difference um how, how would you synopsize that it is everything that you dream about being a team guy at least to me um everything i saw the interactions like like you take a great team at whatever team, a great group of guys at whatever team you're at and like that camaraderie. And, um, you 10 times it at the command. Um, it's a huge chance. Like you go from being a big fish in a small pond to being a small fish in an even bigger pond. You got to redo everything. It's like you had seniority. You're going to go to this place and I was like, you're not going to make it through it. Yeah. You're going to be a small fish again. You kind of shoot yourself in the foot on, um, advancing and pay rate you know since you leave a lpo or a cheap position to go do that yeah and you know it's a lot 
ego check in the sense of if I don't make it through, I got to come back and not everyone's going to look at me or she's not used to failing. Yeah. Um, but well, I felt like I was ready enough um, and really wanted to kind of go to the next level or at least be tested to see if I could be at that. Sure. What, what stood out the most from a contrast standpoint, uh, working with dev group guys at, at team 10, like what was the biggest eye opener? A lot of guys have asked me that question on what's been the most eye-opening at switching those two. And like the biggest thing I think I've heard across the board is time management. I mean, that place is so busy and dynamic. You have to have your shit squared the fuck away. Like, and it's always changing. Obviously there's more funding, so there's more gear, but there's more eyes on you and more consequences. There's no room for error. Yeah. So you have to be fully devoted. I mean, it is a 365 day, 24 seven, lifestyle you're always ready and you're always training to be the best because you're just kind of in that role where you're the people that get called and you can't have an off day yeah um were you married at that time when i went through selection yeah i see the smile from the missus over there Uh, i'm getting you in trouble right now that's actually the third one (laughs) oh is that right (laughs) Um, well, I mean, so, at the risk of being cliche, third time's a charm, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, so I, I actually took 60 days of leave in Hawaii after my 09 deployment and before selection and uh, had linked back up with my high school sweetheart and um, rekindled that and got engaged right before selection. And um, we got married when I had finished. Um, How long did that one last? Six years from start to finish. Two beautiful boys, though. Yeah. Wouldn't change it. Yeah. I don't think uh, I would be on the path that I am today yeah. if I hadn't gone through it. Yeah. Um, as a father, husband, you know, anybody. Sure. Learned a lot. Um, during selection, do you, do you recall the uh, the attrition rate of how many guys started in your class and how many finished? Ballpark? I want to say it's like 80% attrition. No shit. To me, I, even for me, that that's the most surprising, I think, is that, and, you know, when I was at Team 3, like, I remember seeing guys go there and, and some of them not coming back, and I was, what I found myself being the most surprised by was uh, some of the guys that made it surprised me and some of the guys that didn't make it surprised me. Uh, I'm curious, from your perspective, um, what what seems to be the the thing there that uh, that does it, because I'm sure you can relate, right? Is that there were probably guys even that you went through with that were pretty solid that just didn't make it. It is so mentally stressful. Like it is buds times a hundred. Yeah. It's physically, mentally exhausting and takes you to a whole nother level that you never thought you would reach and put you under that pressure to make those right decisions. If you don't, you're not going to make it. Is there a, a most clear-cut example of a mentally stressful position that you're purposefully put into that you could give us? Yeah. Um, Is it the camping joke one? <laughs> no. You know, I, I think in some of the initial parts of it, they put you in, into these situations where uh, all eyes are on you. And they'll just mentally push you um, 
They mentally push you. They'll mentally fuck with you. Yeah. And see how you react. How, like, how so? Like, environmentally? Or, or they, like, verbally they fuck with you? Or, like, what, what do they Both. do? Both. Yeah. Like, they'll give you a standard and um, you think you did it. And maybe they just don't tell you. They're like, <clears throat> you look at for a critique, like, I got nothing. Or this is like after a house run. kind yeah, of Yeah. Like kind of a, after a house run. So they'll say whether you did or didn't do something or they just want to address you. But when they say, all right, move a little to the left, move a little to the right. And you're pretty much staying in the same spot. They just want to see how you're going to react and see if you're going to just mentally implode or not. Um, yeah. It was just, you never knew where you sat at what status. Some of your all-stars, best friends, like you're leaving. You're way better than I am. It, it was exhausting and, and physically too. Yeah. But mentally, it just looking back on it now, um, some of the real world situations we got into that were mentally and physically taxing, like it just made it so much easier when we were there. Yeah. Uh, making those decisions. Were you ever a green team instructor? Did you know any of them really well? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm curious, like, is that something you guys talk about or like, you know, years down the road, you're like, Hey, you were one of my green team guys. What was the fucking deal with this? I mean, kind of like the buds instructor thing is, was there ever any, I mean, like in buds, like, you know, being a buds instructor, you have a role. Um, you guys have playbook. I mean, I've never been a buds instructor, but I imagine, um, and you're just trying to see how the students react. Um, and you're, you're looking for those, um, traits and characteristics that you want and you value. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think there are a few, you know, instructors I asked and they just were like, ah, you know, like I just had a role. It wasn't personal. Yeah. I, I guess I'm curious from, from their perspective though. Um, is it that black and white standard wise, or is there a lot of discretion that is allowed the staff to shit can guys or keep them? No, I, I there are standards you either make or you don't. Um, there are personality traits uh, that can be identified or questionable. Um, is there a, for example, not owning mistakes. Um, I, I think we're naturally terrible at tearing ourselves apart over the littlest details and, you know, we'll make ourselves mental midgets. Um, but those little details matter and, and count. And that's kind of what I think makes a great person just in general. Yeah. Not to mention team guy or soft member yeah um but kind of yeah not owning mistakes and kind of being arrogant you know i think we've all had guys in teams and and i'm sure people can relate that it's like they have that one dude that this their shit doesn't stink like they never take out the trash they never pick up a broom first one to leave last one to show up yeah identifiable once you start looking for that kind of stuff are there uh, instances from your class or any that you're aware of where that was the the shit can deciding factor where it's like yeah. no, it's really yeah like even hey this guy's operation a part of a team yeah so i mean in, in that regard there would be some discretion then right i mean it's like yeah yeah i mean like there, there's some great all-stars that definitely didn't make it because of because of that yep yeah wow what a shitty reason not to fucking make it Yes and no. I mean, what a waste, I guess. You know, it's like you have that opportunity and you're solid and, and you fuck it up by not pulling your weight on the stuff that operationally isn't 
yeah, isn't a factor. I think there's a lot of example. I mean, I hate to bring it up, but Aaron Hernandez is a perfect example. Yeah, fully talented, had everything going for him, and you do that shit for what? Yeah, because you're an individual. Yeah, yeah. Are you a football fan? Yeah, eh, a little bit, kind of. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's kind of my only drastic comparison is like, yeah, you don't want those dudes there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so you make it through green team. Um, describe the the feeling of of successfully completing that and then going to a squadron. It was emotional. Um, I grew up, like I said, in Virginia Beach. I grew up surfing in Croatan, and I would always see the boats go through um, the inlet, and I would kind of see off in the distance the command. And I've been looking at that place since I was probably 12. Um, so, yeah, it was emotional getting through selection. Um, and then it was even more emotional when you kind of get the get past your trial period and, and fully get accepted. How long and was the trial period? Six months? It varies depending on your deployment schedule and, you know, doing those or not. So I was like six, eight months. Is there a almost like commissioning or swearing in type ceremony that, hey, you made it? Mm-hmm. Can you share that? Leave some of it kind of just in our team. But uh, it was it was celebrated um, like they do um, and welcoming. Yeah. For sure. You get your ass beat at all? No. Nope. Nah. <laughs> None of that. Um, but, yeah, like it's a huge honor. It's a big yeah. thing that no one jokes about and takes very serious. Um, so it's like the queen. It's like the queen. It's like the queen. It's like the queen. That's probably not the analogy the boys would want. Yeah, yeah. Like, no offense. <laughs> like, very respectful. But, yeah, it, it's yeah. – is is there a, a shred of anything that you can that you can throw throw the audience that uh, is kind of a letting us inside without uh, giving away the secrets? Each team or group or whatever within there has their own rituals, um, and it's a pass of history and knowledge um, and culture um, and rituals um, of kind of the founding guys and paying respect to it and never forgetting kind of how it started. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's it's humbling. Um, I don't know. Like, you imagine you had a room full of Tom Brady's, and they're welcoming you in. Yeah, um, that's what it felt like. Yeah. Was it just you? No. Like, I mean, I think me and four other guys yeah. from my class went. Yeah. To that, to that team. And so it was us four. Um, do they okay. give you anything? Yeah. They give you a patch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, kind of the patch in kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty much a biker gang, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, you know, we kind were of. considered kind of the biker gang, but no, like just again, the respect and, and that power, it's not something that's given it's earned. Sure. And it comes with a lot of trust and responsibility. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there there may be a beer or two involved. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Um, what's the the ramp up after that like? Is it like oh, well, two two questions I guess, or a two part question? When you finish selection and you go to go to that group, um, editors know you can cut this out if it's not. Can we say squadron, or you don't even want to say squadron? Uh, we can say squadron. Okay. Uh, so when you when you actually you know go from green team to the squadron, um, 
Is there a, a difference between how that transition process goes and then the, the kind of acceptance swearing in ceremony? Like the difference between checking in the green team? No, uh, from green team into the squadron. And then when they actually kind of accept you after your probationary period, it, it like when, when you go there, is it just like, hey, here's all your shit and it's drinking from the fire hose and you're kind of overwhelmed with stuff? Yeah, yeah. when you first check in, it's like, here's all your shit, here's your team. A little bit get read the riot act mm -hmm. on keep up or you ain't gonna be here long. Yeah. Um, and here's our schedule. Yeah. Check the watch bill, get a haircut. Yeah. Uh, or grow your beard. Yeah. <laughs> um, are there guys at that point that make it through green team and then fuck up? I mean, I'm sure there's some, but like, is that common or is it pretty rare? I'd say 10%. That fuck up and get shit canned? Across the class, 10% probably. Yeah. And then like, just cause you make it in, if you're not cutting it, yeah, you ain't gonna last. I don't care if you've been there for a couple of years, like you're. And that happens too sometimes. Yeah, wow. Um, from a gear standpoint, one of the things that's pretty kind of almost notorious, I think, is you, you hear a lot of kind of I don't know if it's rumor mill shit or not, but that there's like X number of techs and people assigned to each each guy to help them with their gear and their guns and, and everything. Uh, what, what can you speak to of that in terms of the, the resources that are dedicated to the individual operator? There are resources that are dedicated to the overall squadron um, or, you know, troops or teams. Um, I kind of reference it as kind of like a NASCAR pit crew a little bit. Everybody has a job to support the overall mission. Yeah. Um, and there's backups to those. And it's to help time management, efficiency, capability. Um, I mean, we always have to maintain training calls. And, again, our performance ability, they just help accelerate that um, or make it the most efficient. Um, it's robust. Um, I look back on it now, like, so lucky. All of us are so lucky. We took for granted the infrastructure. I mean, you look at now running a company – like we're literally just trying to model that infrastructure. Yeah. Like all that support. So you can focus your time on now with companies where your time is best spent to make that company most successful. Yeah. Was there, um, like any hiccups with, uh, with that kind of initial, let's say first year that you were there where like you, you fucked up or, uh, kind of stepped on your dick or, or embarrassed yourself. Um, hmm. so my first deployment with that team and like team I was with was 2011. Um, and it was still like very much go, go, go. Um, Can you say where, where you went? Uh, Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, stepped on my dick. Yeah. Uh, I naturally don't say much because at a very young age, I would say a lot and kind of put my foot <laughs> in my mouth. So I try to be a little more measured when I do say things. Um, so I'm, I'm naturally very quiet and sometimes people mix that up with if I'm angry at them or, you know, something. Um, yeah. So I try and minimize what I say or how I say it or when I say it. I would say I was definitely afforded a lot of opportunities in the air realm. Um, ultimately, you're at the beck and call of what the team needs, but I was lucky enough to be able to be supported and pushed in the air yeah. kind of direction. And um, I got to go down that whole rabbit hole of 
Got to go stack line JM again in Yuma. That was awesome. <laughs> uh, but After free fall that? JM, yeah. I really? Mean, I had to go to stack line JM, free fall JM, then tandem bundle. and. What, so what is the, the command's thought process behind sending a guy with that amount of experience to a stack line jump master course? Because they need the qual for a free fall JM. You can't skip. You couldn't skip it at that point. Huh. How, how mind-numbing was that one? Like going to hazmat driver school. I think I went through like five logs of Copenhagen <laughs> two weeks. You still dip? I just got off of it. Really? Yeah. I, uh, How are you feeling? I got good, better. I just got introduced to... Uh, heroin. Heroin. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's a good swap was, out. Um, yeah, like I've been trying to kick the habit for a while and, you know, got to chew some gum or yeah. there's like this company, I swear I think it's called Canada Dips, but it's CBD <laughs> pouches. Oh, Okay. And it, it helps the joints feel better. Like, really? Yeah. Huh. No, no tobacco, nicotine. Like, Does it give you the same legit oral satisfaction? I know there's a <sighs> million dirty ways you can go from it's there. but good. It's good enough. Yeah. It it's good job, enough to kick a bad habit. Yeah. Yeah. CBD fucking. Yeah. That's, like, that's wild. Yeah. I have to look into that. Yeah. Huh. I used to dip all the time, too. I, I'm, I I'm like a week years. now that I, I've stopped dipping. A week? Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm surprised you're not shivering and shit. I've just got the. Yeah. Got the shakes. Yeah. Do you have an RV or a camper? You should check out Ghostbed's RV mattress. You can get the all-foam or hybrid version, and it's perfectly sized to fit your RV, camper, or trailer. It's way better than what you're sleeping on now with exclusive cooling technology to keep you nice and cool throughout the night. Right now, you can get 30% off the RV mattress by using code MICDROP. As you guys know, as I have gotten older, I've paid a little closer attention to my health and specifically the nutrition aspect you got to have good fuel if you're going to feed the machine or fuel the combat chassis, as they say. And this next partner is a product that I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens um, because I, I noticed a both brain fog and joint pain issue that uh, has just kind of crept up as I've gotten older. And uh, also, like from a bloating and gut health standpoint, uh, just as I get older, I kind of started to notice that and I started taking Athletic Greens, and I like to, to try everything, um, you know, for a few weeks before I really kind of give it the the thumbs up or thumbs down. And this stuff, I, I noticed within about 10 days, um, just kind of a, a bettering of symptoms in all those areas, less bloating, um, more kind of brain cognition, and less joint pain. Um, and this stuff is, is super high concentrated. It's uh, just one scoop a day that you can put into really anything that you want to drink or normally drink. It's got 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, uh, and adaptogens. And um, it's easy uh, light from a lifestyle-friendly standpoint. It, it, it's really easy to take. It ta- uh, contains less than one gram of sugar. So whether it's insulin or <clears throat> if you're diabetic or you just don't want the carbohydrates, etc., uh, it's good to go there and has uh, just really high-quality, nutrient-dense ingredients that your body needs uh, while it still still actually tastes pretty good. Uh, I do sleep better and recover uh, noticeably faster. Like I, I, don't, I don't feel as sore on it. <clears throat> uh, the mental clarity is, is definitely noticeable, uh, and it's not very expensive, um, which is you know, not that I'm not willing to uh, you know, pay for, for something that's, that's good, but it's, it's less than 3 bucks a day. And uh, the the founder actually started it when uh, kind of a similar story, experienced a lot of gut health issues and uh, 
you know, wanted to, to address that. And so that's kind of where it stems from and, and uh, springboards off of. But um, it, it really is an all-in-one nutritional uh, experience and, and kind of a, a health insurance for protecting, um, you know, your, your joints and your body and things of that nature. So I strongly encourage it. I've had good success with it. And I think you guys uh, would dig it too. It, uh, they're actually uh, <clears throat> going to give you a free one-year supply of uh, vitamin D and five free travel pa- packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash mic drop, all one word. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash mic drop. And uh, go ahead, check those guys out, and uh, give it a shot. I think you'll dig it. Um. So the the air route, I'm I'm fascinated by that. I you know that, that's one uh, area within the SEAL teams that I, I checked the box and that was about it. You know I, I didn't get any extra uh, air or jump calls or time or anything like that than than your standard standard guy. But uh, to me, one of the most fascinating aspects of of insertion, you can go a few ways with that one too. Uh, earmuffs over there, and it's over uh, just as quick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a whole lot of work for uh, just a few seconds of fun. Yeah, <laughs> uh, what are we talking about? Uh, the uh, I, I'm fascinated by you know from a platform standpoint the the capability that that you guys in particular have with with air and and I know some of the capabilities you, you don't want to speak to which I, I understand but I, I would love if you could uh, explain like a, a hairy jump that that you've been through um, and and kind of how how it transpired yeah i had to go through static line um in fort benning with a bunch of other students and they wanted to push us out at like 2,000 feet on static line and 80 people at night sketchiest shit i've ever done really (laughs) so even parachutes yeah so that was brutal but at the command wise um like like the hey ho thing i think is where it's it's the most fascinating at least for me um you know just knowing that you know, again, capability without saying number, yeah. but the fact that you can you can travel an awful goddamn long way under canopy, steering and using night vision, and like that's pretty fascinating capability. Yeah, and it takes a lot of training, a lot of repetitions, a lot of jumps, and um, skill. No matter whether you're the guy that is the lead jumper or just a guy that have your parachute open. Yeah, um, and understanding emergency procedures and how things happen because if we're doing it in the event we ever do it real world um it's one of those things you can't fail because it's already risky enough yeah and for whatever reason we're doing it or not um it's a build-up of you know i kind of reference building houses you got to have a foundation before you start putting shingles on uh same same with jumping um understanding canopy control how parachutes open how your gear rides on night vision and if you're carrying an SR-25 or a Mark 46 or jumping a tandem or jumping a bundle, real world, you're doing it for a reason. Can't fuck it up. Yeah. Did you ever jump bundles in? Uh, I have never done a real world jump, um, but I've done the whole tandem bundle. I ran, I ran the tandem bundle course for a while. Um, it's like being in a 18-wheeler car crash every time that parachute opens. Really? It's brutal. Like what, it's just uh, brutal on your body, the G-forces and all that. Just going from so fast to Yeah, even down. hop and pops, like the tether snap and all that. Like It's brutal, and 
throughout that whole program, I mean, a few guys have died as those systems have evolved. Um, and even regular training jumps, um, there are things that happen, whether it's self-induced or malfunctions of the equipment that guys don't make it yeah. on training. Yeah. Um, my drive for going down the air route was I hate, I hate heights. Really? Oh uh, yeah. Like, yeah. are you not a, do you not get a little fearful when you're on that, that ladder on the side of your house? And like, I have enough time to splat. I mean, how high a fucking ladder are you on? <laughs> oh, I mean, just like in reference of heights, like, yeah. like rooftops, like, yeah, I, no, I, it makes I, me nervous. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly not a fan of heights. Like I'm not the, the guy with no, uh, or, or I guess that, you know, the, the all lizard brain, you know, stuck to the side of a fucking mountain face and not sweating it. Yeah. Like my I'm hands fearful sweat. of heights yeah. and I didn't want that fear to own me. So I owned it. Yeah. That's fucking, that's cool. Um, how long were you there for or how long did you run it for? Uh, 18 months. Yeah. Um, were you, uh, involved with jumping dogs? I know not you personally, but did you have guys that you're putting through the course? Is that treated kind that's of part of, yeah, it's part of tandem. I, yeah. I've jumped dogs and there's parts that, uh, evolved and how to take care of the dogs especially on openings yeah and then landing with them can you uh, speak to that big parts on openings you you hold their kind of their heads close to you on, on that because it you know i can only imagine the dogs like holy shit i have these goggles on and it's dark and i i guess i'm falling yeah i, I don't if they could speak it'd be great to hear yeah. what they think. <laughs> um but yeah big parts hold, holding their necks and having them tight in so you know they don't have essentially like a neck whiplash yeah um and then landing too it's like you don't want to land on the dog so you're gonna fuck that dog up you jump that dog in for a reason you don't want to break its legs on landing yeah um did you ever have any mishaps with dogs jumping them it's all good yeah we, we evolved a bunch in how we carried them or mounted them and, and jimmy was a huge part in that yeah i mean he loves jumping too and obviously yeah. his passion for dogs but um yeah, I mean, the different um, ways to hold them and just make them safer. There are some, like, kind of modified kit bags to just the harnesses and how you hooked them in to what rigs. Yeah. Um, at what point in, in your time at uh, Dev Group were, were you the air guy that way or running the, that course? Was it midway through or? Uh, 2015. So yeah, you'd done a couple of deployments yeah. prior to that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was kind of the biggest thing that stood out? on your first deployment with development group, um, I guess that that was different from uh, your, your previous experiences overseas. One thing that is undeniable is the level of experience um, and skill of everyone. Um, they're so surgical. There's no wasted movements or effort. Um, no question of how is this guy going to perform or, Who's doing what? I mean, it's like you you function like the Patriots when they're just unstoppable. Like everyone's synced up, everyone's on the same page, no conversation about it, and it just gets done. So Tom Brady a couple times, Aaron Hernandez, now the Patriots. <laughs> I'm not a Patriots fan, but like I, there's easy reference. Yeah, yeah, um, they're easy I'm just reference. With you. Um, um, no, I, I I hear you 100. percent um, was the was the level of of competency there so significant that um, that it's like night and day difference from the the regular SEAL teams from your opinion in your opinion? I I think kind of some of the big differences are time. Just you can't replace that experience. Yeah, the older guys that are kind of on on the you know 
Little Creek, West Coast teams. You have amazing people there that are super smart, just smart as anybody at the command, um, but they don't have the funding, the assets, or the seasoned team. Um, yeah. You know, it's like every three years they're rotating and there's different billets for training, you know, buds, instructors, and things yeah. like that. So to have that seasoned team that stays together a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, but the amount of time that you, you have to train, um, it's just they're different schedules. Um, yeah. Kind of like you say, like, Jack of all trades, master of none. Um, we kind of shook in some of the trades and became masters of what we needed to be. Yeah, which uh, you'd say is assaults, right? Yeah, we had a few specific things that we are the person to call, and we had to make sure we were perfect. Obviously, mistakes happen, um, but that's where we got to learn. Yeah. Did you guys focus much from a training standpoint on maritime stuff still? Mm -hmm. Still quite a bit. Yeah. Um, To me, I think the biggest thing that step uh, sticks out, at least my, my time in was that, that you don't have to deal with, or you guys don't deal with at at uh, dev group is that every platoon, there's a a fresh batch of guys with no experience coming in, you know? So like there's no way to move past that. Yeah, It's hard to raise that bar. Yeah, you know, whereas you guys, the lowest common denominator is already a guy that has several years of. I think the average is probably, I think, six to eight years. Yeah. Is, is a new guy. Yeah. Um, and I think the average age, too, is late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember, I hate to say being a child, but acting like a child kind of. Yeah. You know, probably early 20 year olds do and evolving. Yeah. It's kind of who you are. So, how old were you when you went there? 25. Oh, yeah. Um, all right, so the, the very first uh, real-world mission as a squadron guy, um, what was that like? Do you remember it? I'm trying to think of the first one. Um, yeah, yeah, I do. Can yep. you? Uh... Yeah, we, uh, we hit this target. Um, our know troop team did um and there are no gunfights <laughs> really yeah there were no gunfights in it like i had this expectation of how things were because i was comparing it to 2008 when we were doing things and or i was augmenting and um no gunfight so you're like i saw more action in fucking seal team yeah 10. like what the fuck happened like, yeah. what happened to 08 <laughs> shit um <laughs> But, you know, you can't, like I said, you can't search for that kind of stuff. It'll find yeah. you. And um, one memorable op that we did um, was up in the Konar, um, around Red Wings um, kind of area. And uh, we did some really good work that night. I mean, we... Landed like those those pilot like the brown those pilots are amazing. Landed yeah. on I don't know like a sixty degree pitch, um, and we walked up that valley, going after a specific target, and it was a gunfight all the way up for like five six hours, and then things were just clicking. Like we were going after a target, but we ran into problems and we dealt with them. I remember at the end of it, I looked at my TL. I was like, are we going there? He's like, you haven't had enough? <laughs> no. This is what yeah. I signed up for. Like, we haven't got him. Like, we haven't got who we're going for. Like, there's that place. It's about to be light. 
And obviously you don't want to be there when light comes on and this 47 lands on this peak kind of thing. It's front right wheel. That was it. It's front right wheel. 47s, you know, the school bus kind of twin helicopter thing. So it lands its right foot front wheel right there. The side door gunner gets out, moves the minigun out of the way, gets on one knee as a step. And is like, all right, come on. And we all just jumped on and took off. Oh, shit. Like, it was the coolest thing. Like, God damn. Like, imagine that big-ass helicopter sitting there with one wheel on there and just, I mean, you're loading 3,500 pounds at like 8,000 feet. Like, wow. That's fucking impressive, man. What uh, what were the circumstances in terms of what the problems that you were running into? Was it like so you're, you're gaining elevation and, and taking it on the, on the way up? Uh, just, I mean, there were targets in between where we needed to go to and we had to address them, whether we were getting it engaged outside of the targets or we had to clear them to kind of safely go go through. Um, CQC at its best. Yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, we're, so were a lot of these problems that you encounter, were they in, in buildings and structures or were they open? Both. Both. Yeah, about so like there were some indirect that was coming across the valley, um, some barricaded um, in the house shooting out, um, some outside the house that whether it was sleepers outside or, or what. And I say sleepers that had guns, woke up and started shooting at us. Yeah, um, there were some that they will put people in front of them as human shields and shoot through them, um, create some major issues for sure. Um, were there instances where you had to engage people that were trying to use human shields? No. Um, it makes it very difficult to engage those threats when they're doing stuff like that. Um, we've had people white light us as people are shooting and using them as targets, and then that's a different conversation. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, grenades, chest racks, um, there were a couple of suicide vests up there. About how many people did you encounter on the way in? And this is, you said, over like a five, six-hour period? Yeah, 22. And uh, loadout-wise, uh, is there a preferred long gun uh, for, for that type of gig? For you, I guess? Or I mean, do you have the autonomy individually to pick whatever you want? You do. Um, recce guys carry recce stuff. <laughs> That's pretty specific. Yeah, I mean, they have a wide variety of long guns to choose from depending on the environment and mission, and I could have chosen P7, 416, 17. Did you have a, a favorite or a go-to? I love that MP7. Yeah. Yeah. We actually just got one. Really? Oh, shit. I loved it. But it's a very specific niche thing that um, guys would or wouldn't carry just on the performance of the round. But the 416 is just what I carried. On that one? Yeah, it's what yeah. I carry most of the time. Um, yeah. People like to talk about these engagements 100, 200 yards plus out. And for me, we have either a long gun or I got some cover to call something in. I could just. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say most engagements uh, were inside of 50 meters? The only engagements, I won't say the only, 95% of my engagements have been within 10 yards. Within 10 yards? Mm -hmm. and, and most of the time with a 416? Yeah, always. Uh, loadout mag-wise, I mean, are you... Three mags, one of the gun, no pistol. No shit. Mm -hmm. 
And you and you're battling it for five six hours with that small of a loadout. You got enough people that are carrying 120 rounds. I mean, it's it's not Mogadishu. Yeah, um, you're taking surgical shots. You got a grenade or two, a thermo or two. Can I ask uh, what the the train of thought is behind no pistol? Couple. Um, we're always trying to save weight. I mean, I was crazy about it. I would cut off Molly off my kit that I just wouldn't use. Yeah. To save ounces that equal. You're cutting pounds. the fucking the neck yeah. tags off your t-shirts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if in those kind of environments, I didn't really feel like I needed a pistol. Uh, for multiple reasons. One, if my gun went down, which it has in, in gunfights, I roll out and my team member kind of rolls okay. in for me. Uh, if my gun would go down, the I know they taught originally that your gun goes down, you transition your pistol. In a two-way gunfight, I'm not going to stand in the doorway with my gun that goes down and draw my pistol. I'm going to let somebody else come in with a rifle. Um, the weight, the comfort of hiking around it, you know, five to 12,000 feet. There wasn't really a great way besides old safari land, like drop down. Um, some ops, you know, I, I would throw on a pistol if I felt the need for it. But Was it up to each individual whether or not they carried a pistol? Yeah. Did some guys? Some guys did, yeah. yeah. Were you still rolling with uh, 228s and 226s? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Is that still your preferred uh, operational pistol, or do you, do you have one? I love those 320s. Yeah. There are no... Th- New 320s, but we shoot Glocks too. Like, I have a 19X I love shooting too. Yeah. Um, you ever shot those STIs? I have actually. Seems running rails. Yeah, yeah. I know it. I, uh, yeah, no, they're amazing. Um, yeah, I love the modularity of 320s, six. You know, carried them forever. It's yeah. great. You can go compact, carry, full size. Yeah. Really dependable. Um, within the command, pistol wise, um, is that, is there, is there the same level of, um, selection that, that each guy, like, can you carry kind of whatever you want? Yes, you can. And actually, I came across a photo, of, you know, my what my box loadout of guns looked like. I had a USP 45 compact. Really? Guy, yeah, with the suppressor. <laughs> um, we didn't have any, or at least I didn't have any, because I had a 19 as well. No suppressors on that. That was more, you know, concealed. 226s, nothing. But, yeah, that. That's, remember the old SOCOMs? Yeah. It was like 24 inches. Yeah. That's your pistol. Oh, shit. Um, but no, like these are much smaller. It was nice, but um, yeah, it was still kind of the era on what we were doing. Um, pistols weren't a big thing for kind of that. Yeah. Could guys, I mean, could you like pick some whiz-bang shit that's not in the inventory? Like, is there that much flexibility? Like, hey, I want the, like an STI or, or whatever. Like, No, I mean, those are big programs for sure. Um, yeah. So you, you couldn't say, like, hey, there's this fucking Wilson combat gun that I want to carry, and they'd let you do it? or uh, the RDT&E shop, and everybody signed off on it. It was yeah. kind of a program like that, sure. Oh, okay. Um, but, yeah, not, not that kind of flexibility. Yeah. Uh, Round-wise, um, for both pistol and rifle, do you guys have uh, that same flexibility to, to take – buffalo bore or you know something that's more effective than green tip or ball yeah so when we'd always side in or recheck dopes we would always grab the ammo that we would carry in our mags um, you know whether it's lr or some other kind of specific defensive round rifle wise that you know it slowed down or mushroomed out or or that kind of thing um, pistol wise everything from hollow points 
we always ran hollow points, like, uh, I think. Or, like federal HSTs or yeah. spears or what? Uh, I think federals. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the MP7. The, the problem with that round was it was so fast and hot, it would just kind of zip through. Mm-hmm. So they kind of tried to dumb it down and make it a little flatter and slower. Um, but whatever we would carry real world, we would sight in with. And obviously train with just ball. Um, Could you buy or order any ammo you wanted? No, I mean, another kind of big program. Yeah. You know, if if we wanted to test out a new round, um, obviously there's appropriate ways to go about it and, and can do it. And usually it's kind of identifying a gap or something that we need. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's flexibility, but there's a limit within that flexibility. Sure. I, to me, the on the... Um, I guess the uh, the two two three or five five six uh, avenue, like that Buffalo bore seventy seven grain. Technically, it, it's a hollow point. That shit is awesome. Like I, I don't know why our entire military doesn't use that round. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. But um, did you find uh, that to be a, a recurring problem where uh, the rounds you were using were over penetrating um, real world targets? There were a couple shoot throughs, not when I was at the command, um, from some units that we were working with that went through people and hit some unintended people. Yeah. So I guess, you know, collectively, um, the experiences that you had, um, throughout your time at development group, uh, you know, multiple deployments, are there different, uh, operations or instances that kind of stand out? the way you remember them that are, are noteworthy. Yeah. So there are two um, that stick out to me when there was a really good one and when there's a really bad one. Um, which one do you want me to do first? Let's go with the bad news first. So bad news. Um, common question I get are, you know, what were your most difficult deployments? Um, and mine specifically was 2012. Uh, we were in Afghanistan. Some atmospherics I think weigh in on that were, um, I had just had my first son, or say I had, my wife had just had my first son and I left on deployment when he was three weeks old. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like finally had that boy. I don't have to worry about passing my name off anymore. I can go get blown up or whatever, like kind of on him. Um, but yeah, left when he was three weeks old um, in June. And so we went to, um, we went on deployment and, uh, one thing that was uh, different on, I wouldn't say different, but completely different on this deployment was every room we were staying in were dead guys' rooms. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah, from uh, August 6th. Oh, wow. When those guys, yeah, I mean, so that was already eerie. Um, reliving Red Wing, uh, you know, six year. I mean, six years again, six years later after, you know, it happens, um, and, and going there, being the first time father, staying in dead guys' rooms, um, that you knew and you were really close with. Um, it was just, it was, a the deployment, the kickoff was just different. Um, and we started getting rockets into the base and we've had, I mean, I've been on multiple deployments where we get rockets, it is a thing, but it's usually like a couple. It's not 200. Yeah. 
Um, I've never felt as unsafe on a base than then, um, you know, where we're staying, you know, the rooms we're staying in, the op, you know, the ops were pretty normal. We got into gunfights, you know, we did stuff on our kind of vampire schedule. Um, and every time we came back, we would just get rocketed and they just kept getting closer. Um, and, and vampire hours, you know, I, I think some people know them, some people don't. Basically, you wake up, you know, right as the sun goes down. You go to bed pretty much right as the sun comes up. You eat dinner for breakfast. You eat breakfast for dinner, and you work in between. Um, and that was kind of the schedule that we were on. And um, it it was like every day. The, the rockets kept coming in, and they just kept getting closer. And there was just nothing that we we were doing operationally that we're putting an impact on this. Um and so <laughs> they finally kind of started honing in on who was doing these rocket attacks, where they're coming from. And we go out on this one op, you know, we're on kind of those, those uh, side-by-side ATV things on the back, you know, driving off of helicopters, eating sand, uh, almost like Rogue Warrior. Yeah. Like at night, like <laughs> Nas tubes, like like we needed uh, some of those dirt bike peel off, like to clear yeah. off the dust. I mean, it's moon dust <clears throat> that's seeping through like mask and garb and just, it, it's, it's an experience. Yeah. Um, and got into this really big gunfight uh, this one night. We had kind of set our side by sides, hit them and start walking in this town and immediately get into a gunfight. It was a couple hundred yards away, but it just kept intensifying as we kept diving more and more into it, into this town to the extent of we're getting Intel saying that they see us and they're setting up on us at like only one other time that we've had Intel that they were setting up an ambush on us. And and we didn't go on that one, but this one we're already in it. We're, We're in the town and we're trying to get out of the town and push deep enough into it. We get this, I'm going to fuck up the nomenclature, but like some 83 millimeter, something recoilless rifle. So like 10 feet tall, 170 pounds. For whatever reason, we had to bring that fucking thing out of there. Jesus. Yeah, we did. Like, how the fuck do you bring that out? Over your shoulder. (laughs) No shit. And we, yeah, we wrote, yeah, like log PT. Yeah. We rotated (laughs) uh, guys carrying this thing two guys at one time because one end was heavier than the other like it's kind of like a, a cannon in a sense and um i remember uh, like i'm kind of telling the story a little out of order but getting into the town all the gunfights hitting the target finding this thing having to take it back out and dodge these um ambushes that are being set up to get back to the side-by-sides and get on it and get out and it, it felt like an eternity a sense of, are we going to get out of this town? Like, we're hearing they're surrounding us. Taking effective fire, shooting people, um, you know, people setting up on us. It's 2012, like, been at this for seven years. Like, this is, not that it doesn't happen, but this is just intensifying more than making progress. So, uh, I mean, there's a mixture of things between recce guys dropping bombs for us to get out of the town. Um we're all shooting, like we're not going through lots of mags, but like we're all shooting to get out. Finally get out, get to our side-by-sides, get this cannon loaded up, 
get on the helicopter. Uh, I don't even think we could shut the back door, but whatever. Get get picked up, get back on base. We're debriefing about this fucking nightmare. And um, kind of description on what happens usually after targets when we get back. You know, sunrise is coming up, eating breakfast for, for dinner, taking a shower. We usually always kind of watch some sort of episode show. <laughs> Was yep. there a favorite, or what? Like God, what show? Like, uh, well, Californication was. <laughs> I, I, I can only imagine like the uh, the actors and the people that make those movies would. I'm curious what they would think to know that you know these tier one fucking <laughs> American warriors are watching this shit yeah. right after an op before they go to bed oh, overseas. Man. Like yeah, we'd go heavy episodes. No so. Sex in the City. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Maybe. some guys just admit it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, that morning we uh sitting there watching some episodes, like normal, kind of eat, talk about what will happen in the next <clears> 24 <throat> hours, and we go to bed. And there are these uh, Quonson Hut kind of tan fabric um, things that we've built pretty much in the dorm rooms out of plywood and two-by-fours. Typically, this is usually when rockets come in. Um, but at this point, like we're halfway, three-quarters of the way through the deployment. Oh, yeah. People usually go into cover, but at this point, we're just like, whatever, hit us, don't hit us. It's where we were. And um, everyone's going to sleep, lights are out, and this boom goes off. Uh, and when I say boom, it, I thought our tin blew up. No shit. Yeah. Like, I got into a fetal position because I thought that was the only way I could physically survive this thing. Because I, I didn't know. I was like, holy fuck, a rocket. Like, I expected to look out the door and see half of our tent gone. It's not what happened. Um, basically a 5,000 pound B bid went off about a hundred yards from us. God damn. The dump truck. And, um, that went off and basically blew all of us out of our beds. It basically lifted all the moon dust up. And, uh, I mean, we're running around in like board shorts and trying to put some shoes on. Frag starts coming down through uh, the roofs, like smashing guys' gear, computers. Um, There's kind of a little wall in between where we were with uh, another unit that we were working with. You know, the overall circle of our compound was connected, but now we're thinking that they got blown up. So we put board short shoes on and we're like kind of running to see what's going on. Guys are grabbing gear. And um, we realized, all right, well, it wasn't that group. And then we kind of see it over the wall. And this V-bed basically blew a hole in the wall from the exterior of the entire Holy base. Shit. Some of us were running with no guns, including myself. Wasn't the best decision. Mistake, lessons learned. Um, you know, the group scattered and what they were focusing on. And guys getting gear and the communication. Um, but, you know, a collective group of us, including like our ground force commander, which is awesome, are running up because they basically blow up a bazaar, a hospital. And like, you're just seeing people just blood coming out of their face, like buried rubble and this gap. And like, are you here about it? Like they blow holes in walls and now guys are coming through with guns. We got our, like our GFC, our ground force commander. He gets in a turret behind a 50. We're grabbing guns to, you know, basically hold, hold off whatever's coming next. Um, and Luckily, nothing came. Oh, shit. Nothing came because we responded so quickly. Wow. They had 20 dudes, 
50 yards away that were coming through and they saw the response and nothing came. Wow. The after effects of that though, um, that la- like the blast, blast after effects lasts a long time. So, uh, yeah, like our entire team was fucked up from it. And, um, what, like what kind of, uh, injuries were all like just, just overpressure like blast like, lung type shit. Yeah. Just, uh, I remember them asking me, do you know what day it is? Like, I don't know, Saturday? Like, uh, yeah, it's Wednesday. Like, okay. <laughs> it's Groundhog Day anyways. Yeah. Sure. Um, and a number of different questions. They kind of give you the the test, and all of us failed. Um, but, like, uh, is it fair to say that you pretty much all had concussions? Extreme ones. Yeah. Um, and, you know, before. I think after, I think after that op, you know, there are a few more ops that we did where houses blew up on us. So it was just like dumbing our, our healing levels down. Um, but that one just kind of, hate to say icing on the cake, that thing um, left our entire team rattled. Rattled. Yeah. Like wow. Just extremely fucked up. And um, I mean, they followed in with rockets and that kind of stuff. But that, that stuck out to me a lot. I mean, it, it shook us up pretty bad. Yeah. Um, a few weeks later on, on that deployment, rockets started coming in direct to our base, like blew up our gym, blew up our fight gym, blew my TL off the treadmill. Um, and it was, uh, it was just different. Um, you know, I'm trying to manage looking at my, my son. Uh, huh. Well, it's all going on. It's yeah. not easy. Because um, at this point, he's a couple months old, right? Yeah, he's like three months old, yeah. four months old. So a lot of different mixed emotions um, and just getting blown up a lot. Um, we hit a few targets later on in that deployment. Houses blew up on us. People blew up on us. And it just it crippled us. Um, it was known. It was known across the command how bad it was. Yeah. Um, two questions, I guess when the rockets that are coming in, do you know what kind of rockets are, are coming in? Well, yeah. They're like those recoilless, right? Like, like I think, like I said, I was gonna mess up the nomenclature if it's like an 83, mo- whatever. Yeah. It was like kind of Soviet area era things were that would come in and, and, uh, like a handful or dozens or they usually come in volleys, three, four, they'd move, um, six, coordinated um, mostly during the day and then they started coming in at night but as the time progressed the concentration of them focused on us so they were, they were getting better at getting more accurate and, and they knew who you were and where you were at and there's so many foreign na- I mean I say foreign national locals that are in and out of the base helping contracting that yeah it's not a secret yeah um, and it was it was difficult. Um, there were there's one guy that came back and immediately got out. Another guy a few years later that killed himself, and uh, or you know suicide. Uh, and a number of guys that just kind of were never the same again. Yeah. Did you guys get tested for TBIs and shit after? Oh that? yeah, we and failed miserably. All have them. We got those ganglion shots in our neck, um, which is supposed to reset our sympathetic nervous system and uh, I mean. It, 
last couple of days, but I mean, came back angry. Yeah. Did that deployment change you? Yeah. Like for good mm-hmm. still to this day? Yep. Yeah. Uh, what can you say about uh, the, the biggest change? Like, uh, noises. I mean, we live uh, by an air base. Jets sound like incoming. Um, even dumpsters get dropped out, like explode. Like somebody dropped a, uh, a Yeti water bottle the other day. We were walking on an airplane. Just get you nervous, anxiety building up. Um, makes you want to stay distant, um, not exposed, kind of any vulnerabilities to anything. Would you say that uh, the way you are with that stuff today as we sit here is any better than it was right when you came back? Like, has it subsided some? No. Really? Mm-hmm. What, uh, I mean, and that's pretty common for the, the whole crew, you think? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, uh, like, it's hard to, to experience that and reset and not be concerned that it would happen again. Yeah. Is there anything that any of your guys have been able to do that, that have helped with that? Any of like the Mexico ayahuasca trips or anything like that? Um, I think there's a lot of, uh, therapies that are being explored that are, that are helping people. A lot of research being done. Um, across uh, ayahuasca um, and, and some of that treatment. Um, there, there's some treatment, I think, coming out of California as well and some of those studies on the neurowave, you know, magnetic stuff I haven't, you know, been a part of, but just hearing about a lot of funding um, from different organizations to get research and get, get people better on that. Um, I mean, what they did... Uh, after that, and what they typically do, they give you band-aids, give you prescriptions. What would they what would they give you for that? I mean, it's a cocktail mixture. Every every prescription is a science project on you because if they give you something, give me something, we may react completely different. Yeah, I bounced around between Wellbutrin, uh, Zoloft. Um, and a number of other uppers and downers and everything in between. Um, Are you still still on any of that kind of shit? Yeah, on, on some of it. Um, when, I, when I got medically retired, the, the VA doctors wanted to switch some of the stuff to help um, with different headaches and anxiety and things like that. But, yeah, mm-hmm. wow. Uh, you mentioned your son, and I could, I could see the, the emotion kind of uh, brimming as you, as you talked of him. Um, did becoming a father change how you operated? Being an operator, uh, you have to be extremely selfish. Um, Family-wise? Yeah. yeah. Nothing can come in between it. And... Um, You uh, you take for granted, or you push off to the side and compartmentalize it, and um, it didn't it didn't change um, didn't change what I was going to do or what I was willing to do or die for until um, my my wife at the time had had enough, and we were going to go through a divorce, 
a nasty one. And um, when I could see it on his face. How old was he at that time? Uh, three and a half. Yeah, three and a half. I could see on his face. I was like, all right, I'm going to make a change. That's when I went to air um, and, and kind of left the squadron, went to air and, and went through that. Um, and then I just kind of had a different perspective on what really, there wasn't one overweighing the other on what was important, what wasn't. Um, but my son, his sons were more important. Yeah. Um, um, in terms of taking risks, actions at the objective, did, did the thought of your kids ever come into or, or play a role in you taking less risks? Nope. Nothing. Didn't change that at all. Nope. Yeah. I mean, I, there were, there were multiple missions after that, that all of us would send flowers to our wives because we didn't think we were going to come back. Really? Mm-hmm. The uh, entire team would send flowers to the wives because we didn't know. What, uh, I guess mentally I'm, th- I'm imagining the roller coaster of, of assuming that you're not coming back, sending flowers, writing letters, and then you do come back. What is the adrenaline dump or like emotional roller coaster down after you actually make it back from that? Uh, You get so used to it, you don't notice it until it's gone. And when it's gone, you try and do other stuff to replace it. Um, It's like skydiving. You jump out of a plane, you know, a thousand times, you kind of forget not forget about the risk, but it just becomes a normal thing. You don't have that adrenaline dump. Um, the calming, the, I mean, just the calmness, everything slows down. Um, the breathing, the footwork, the movement, I mean, it's addictive. Um, the risk, you know, but the bigger mission than yourself, and like for the country and what you're doing, I mean, it's worth it. It's worth dying for. And I mean, I do it today. Yeah. That my kids and family could have what we have. Yeah. That's fucking admirable, no doubt about it. Uh, do you recall how many times you were in that position where you sent flowers thinking, this is it? Uh, three. Three times. Mm-hmm. Um, did they know that that's why they were getting flowers? <laughs> Just, I mean, was it like there's the, the knife, non-verbal, the, there's the wives yeah. network of yeah, like, I, was, I mean, it was a non-verbal why thing. Why did we all like, just get flowers? You know, we, we would never say anything and they would get flowers and then unfortunately some of the stuff would get leaked out on the news and they just put two and two together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, I mean, we didn't talk about it. That, that was something that I grew up that I didn't know what those commands did and yeah. I was very much in the same mindset. Like, mm-hmm. No one needs to know what we do. But yeah. it was just kind of one of those things if we never made it back, our wives would always know that we love you and like, it was kind of our last goodbye. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Man, that's hard to uh, hard to imagine. Um, of those three instances, um, were any of those missions the the good news story that you wanted to share, or, or any of those three that you can share the details of of how hairy they were that you thought you weren't coming home from them? Um, no, I mean I think those can be left for another time <laughs> at the right time. <laughs> I prefer to, you know, those were very super close hold. Um, I got you. And yeah, but 
definitely love to talk about some good ones. Yeah. All right. Well, let's hear the good news. So no shit. There we were. No shit. There we were again in Afghanistan on deployment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had a, a deployment that was literally like out of the movies. 100% movies that you couldn't have scripted any better. Um, one, we weren't on vampire hours, which were great. We were up during the day. And uh, two, we had every asset available and dedicated to us. And when I say every, helicopter-wise, we were doing vehicle interdictions. And so, you know, they would track these people. There'd be a time gap to hit them. And our pagers would go off. Guys would be running out of the gym, throwing their clothes on, pilots running the helicopter, spinning them up. Because we only have this little time window and we got to hit it, um, you know, minimizing collateral damage and things like that. And just, I mean, it was, I mean, you look back and like the good days, I mean, you had everything. We were jumping in helicopters, got four helicopters sitting there spinning. We got two DAPs, you know, 60s with rockets, mini guns, and like we are going. And it's like coming over mountains, You, their pilots are picking them up. And whether it's, you know, out of the movie shooting, you know, the uh, typical engine block or it's a minigun run right down, like, I mean, some of the cars or motorcycles shooting at us with AKs. I mean, play the old Vietnam era music and, and roll that videotape. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it sounds like uh, hog hunting here in Texas. Oh, yeah. I mean, like miniguns blasting up this dirt at this motorcycle shooting at you and the motorcycle blows through. Oh, shit. Like how, like, how is this possible? Or like, I mean, you see like out of a movie, like the dirt kicking up and it, it hits the motorcycle and it explodes. Oh, shit. Yeah. Do you, I mean, did, did you guys get any of that on like FLIR footage or anything that you've seen? After? I'm sure somebody somewhere has some yeah. footage. One, one of you guys out there with an iPhone fucking. Shit, I don't know if iPhones are on. Yeah. Or GoPro, man. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, that deployment was amazing, though. I mean, it was just nonstop. Um, Action. That that way. Action. Yeah. And were most of them vehicle interdictions? Uh, on that one, like 90% of them were. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was, it was amazing. And unfortunately on that deployment, you know, different team, part of the team somewhere else, a couple of guys got killed um, on a different op. While you were over there? Yeah. yeah. Same, same group, but just different. But it, and it was really eerie because it, it was September 11th. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I was good friends with one of those guys. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> what's that? You, you were? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, uh, so the, I guess with 90% of that deployment being, um, those vehicle interdiction type, type scenarios, did you do other, uh, DA type stuff? Uh, or what, what was the other 10%? So, yes, we did do nighttime some DAs, um, but a lot, of, a lot of times the vehicle interdictions, again, you're like pagers go off, run into helicopters, helicopters spinning up, coming on these targets, not always successful, but they turn into now, now we have, they enter yeah. a building. Yeah. We got to set down in the middle of the day. Red Wing's still fresh in my fucking mind. Yeah. Um, we're 47s flying in the middle of the day. <sighs> yeah. Hanging um, out, fucking nerve-wracking, mm -hmm. I'm assuming. So, yeah, when that would usually happen, obviously there were contingencies and plans where we sit down and, and assault those targets. Um, some were big gunfights, some weren't, and some were dog bites. Yeah. And, and kind of that piece as well. 
Did you notice a, uh, a disparity between the canine usage at Dev Group versus the dogs you worked with on the teams? Yes and no. Um, I think their, their goal is to obviously be the same across the board, but the training time that each dog gets and the handler gets is different um, on top of funding. Um, you know, the level of training, some of the dogs that we had at the command, I honestly, I, I couldn't tell you how different it is. It's just the quality of the reactions, um, whether it was, you know, single focused on just this bomb piece or the kind of defensive attack piece or, or search piece in the blended of the two. Um, they were, there were dogs that would act differently once they had their first bite and their taste of blood. Um, and then there were some that just, I hate to say, couldn't, couldn't cut it. Um, had to get another one. I say couldn't cut it. You know, they're very highly trained and would, I think kind of their path would go off to being donated to law enforcement or something. Yeah. 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 Um, is there a dog that sticks out as being the most memorable? Yeah. Um, Yep, the, one of the first dogs I ever um, got introduced to, his name was Diesel. And he already had a silver star and a purple heart. Wow, <laughs> that's badass. And he was a massive Belgian. And he had got, gotten his awards um, because he went into a cave with guys shooting at him. Like, completely. I wasn't there completely, you know, secondhand story. Apparently, like, these guys were in a cave and shot at the assault force. Fairly close engagement. But he went in there and pretty much ate all of them. Got shot. Didn't give a fuck. Didn't give a fuck. And he was the most family-friendly dog when you took that vest off. Yeah. He, like, he had separation anxiety, like, from his hand. <laughs> it was hilarious. You put that vest on him, Yeah. it, it, was, it was a light switch. Yeah. And it was... It was humbling to see. That's amazing. I mean, the yeah, the contextual association that dogs have. I mean, it's it's a double edged sword. You know, it's it's one of the staples to which uh, to with with which we, you know we have the ability to train them to the level that, that they do. Mm-hmm. The the other side of that that sword, um, you know, is is that is that sometimes you inadvertently build these contextual associations that. You, you don't realize, hence the inadvertent part, until it's kind of too late or until you've created a, a fucking monster that uh, that can be hard to, to turn that light switch off. But um, I mean, I think he, like, there's probably a few dog personalities at that command that people will always measure to, and he's definitely probably one of them. Yeah, yeah. Did you see any of his bites? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What uh, what was the, the one that sticks out as, motherfucker, that's, t- that's terrible? Oh, uh, like definitely during the VIs. Yeah getting some of those guys out of those cars. Yeah. Well, yeah. So can you, uh, can you tell, tell one of those uh, where a dog was used on a VI? On one of the, one of the vehicles, uh, or stops, it was kind of like a minivan, uh, Volkswagen bus <laughs> got stopped. Um, they had been shooting at the helos and their car kind of got disabled and they decided to stay in the car for whatever fucking reason and fight from there. Um, we 
perform some of our land warfare tactics <laughs> and they stopped shooting at us, but they were still in and obviously presumably hopefully dead. And there's a number of things that you can do, or at least I've seen and sending dogs in there and things like that. They have cameras on them. So they, yeah, they sent, I think diesel in there, jumped through one of the windows, shoot on one guy for a while while some of the assault force EOD guys, obviously a big thing coming up on them to make sure um, there's nothing rigged to blow. But that was one of just chewing on the driver. Yeah. Was he still alive? If he was, it wasn't very long. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, that's fucking wild, man. Uh, any other cool dog stories like that that stick out? Um, Not necessarily interdiction-wise, but any of the deployments that you've Some other OTBs. Yeah? Get them in the water. <laughs> they are good swimmers, but some of them just don't like being in the water. Yeah. And you got to convince them that they have to doggy paddle yeah. while you're swimming with all kinds of gear on. Did you guys do a lot of water work? A uh, fair amount. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that surprises a lot of people, you know, that in Afghanistan you're doing maritime shit at all. But I think one of the coolest things water-wise was I found out that we needed a capability to uh, drive jet skis in shallow reef <laughs> surf areas. That seems like a convenient capability it, to find out it was a dream come true and <laughs> so with skydiving we'll go to these areas that have consistent weather because it's most efficient to learn and and train in so when i heard we needed this i was like we're going to fucking hawaii <laughs> on the north shore oh man and um i remember calling this guy just cold calling him and my reference story is like if you wanted training from michael jordan you google him dial 1-800 michael jordan and he this guy answers her and like, hey, I'm looking for Michael Jordan. He's like, yeah, it's me. That's basically where this guy was for big wave surfing. Really? Yeah. Didn't know him from anybody. And um, I was like, hey, I know we don't know each other, um, but we kind of need this training. And I'm describing that we need to learn how to drive jet skis on night vision <laughs> through the North Shore of Hawaii. Yeah. And like 20 foot surf. He's like, Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, I'll see you in four months with like yeah. 20 guys yeah. and jet skis. And um, we showed up there, North Shore winter, big surf, had an awesome house lined up. Um, <laughs> there's, you know, there's no base housing available. We have to stay on the North Shore on the beach. Yeah. And uh, I get the, f I think it was like 12 guys total. And I'm just excited to be out there. And, you know, some guys are from Iowa only seen the ocean a few times made it through buds but haven't seen the north shore yeah and it's fullest and that that first program and and trip was amazing and what it turned into was a real capability um, and later on down the road saved guys lives really on, on what uh i mean what what's the gist of of using that as as the platform in, in, insert extract yeah. um, i mean just like a car dirt yeah. bike atv it's just a different environment so yeah different option to use if you want to use it yeah and i suppose that like that capability i mean fuck they can tow like a boat almost right so you could have a big sled with gear on it and all kinds of shit there's a big uh evolution of how that platform would be used um and the skill level and qualifications that need to be achieved for it to be a successful um, tool can you uh, talk about the app that you actually use them on me personally i've never used them uh dj's hit on on kind of his one big op that they were used on. Yeah. Um, 
they've been used on for a couple others. Yeah. But uh, I was just glad it, I mean, there were so many arguments on why we, we needed to go to the North Shore. <laughs> and I get the optic of like, oh, you're just going to go surf and Fuck this off. and that. You will sit there and like, this was literally why. Help get medevac guys off. Yeah. I mean, it's not only about taking bad guys off, but like dudes get it off. Like yeah. it's a good platform to get guys out of there. Yeah. Man, that's wild. Uh, did you do any dirt bike shit? Very little. I mean, yeah. I grew up riding, but yeah. yeah. Donkeys? <laughs> Voided them. <laughs> now you're surrounded by jackasses. What do you yeah. have a donkey for? Um, <clears throat> that's wild. Um, any any other uh, gigs from, from your time at uh, at Dev Group that, that stick out as being, like, worthy of talking about? Uh, that place is a machine. Um, it, it'll keep running well past when you jump off the train. Um, and it's needed. The one-track mine, um, what it provides for all of us. I was humbling and honored to be a part of it when I did it. Um, I wouldn't trade it for the world either. You miss it? Always. Yeah. Um, do you think physically you could still do it? Fuck no. No. I had four shoulder surgeries, broken three legs. Yeah. My body hurts. What um, uh, is the original sol- shoulder surgery that you had back in high school? Is that what plagued you the, the three following times? No. Really? Mm-mm. Different shit? Mm-hmm. And you, so you broke your leg. Uh, were those all operational injuries? Yep. Like that happened, that they're acute or is chronic that chronic? Uh, chronic, but I, I broke my right in 07 in Fallujah. My How'd that happen? So... <laughs> There I was. Um, I was there. In, yeah. We uh, were doing this one op in 07 in Fallujah. And um, this was pre-Redmond getting shot in the face. Um, we're going to hit this one target. So no shit there I was. We get out a few blocks away from this house. And one of my buddies and I are going to climb the roof. We get to the target. So we get up there. We set the ladder. We start climbing the roof. And there's... You know, there's two people sleeping on the roof. At this point in my experience, nobody really, like, springs up. They're they're compliant. This motherfucker had a different thing in mind. He (laughs) was a spider monkey that had, um, he was the strongest little skinny person I've ever fucking met. Oh, shit. Yeah. And (laughs) Did you grab a hold of him? Well, we grabbed a hold of each other. Yeah. And... Unfortunately, I now have him in a full guard in jujitsu, and he's grabbing on all my shit. And my M4 is like stuck in between us. My shooting buddy is trying to put his muzzle through his head, but his gun's exploding because it had those old rail systems. Jesus. So now this like Colts M4 rails exploded. This guy's wife is freaking out. The one time I'm carrying a pistol has been knocked out of my gear, and I'm freaking out because I don't want her to grab it. And, uh, it was still when I was in the mindset of like, I got a folding blade. I don't really need a fixed blade. <laughs> if I had had a fixed blade at that point, I would have had my first knife kill. Oh, that, was, that, that was the only thing that I could have used. Um, Were you trying to strike him? I, I mean, I literally had him in like a jujitsu full guard. Like yeah. Matt's hitting the guy that I was with was literally putting his muzzle in his head, but like his gun's exploding. Needless to say, we finally get this guy kind of, I say compliant. Um, handcuffed his wife 
I pick up my pistol that had been knocked out. Like, like, holy fuck. Like, a lot of lessons learned one. Um, that I can't lose my fucking pistol or get it knocked out of my gear. I need to have a fixed blade. Um, and maybe I don't give that inch to that guy ever yeah. again. Um, meanwhile, the guys that were watching the feed were like, I can't believe you guys didn't kill that guy. Like, I mean, they saw like the full UFC match on the roof. <laughs> so you had your hands full with him. Yeah. In the tussle though, I thought he hit me in the, I thought he stabbed me in the leg. My initial one, he ended up hitting me in the leg with a brick. And so like on the initial kind of engagement, I thought I'd been stabbed in the leg or whatever, but basically broke my leg. Initial one, so oh shit. Mm-hmm. Did, were you able to finish the app, or were you out? We wrapped up the roof. Uh, Salt Force wrapped up inside, and I hobbled down, and they found you know 100 pounds of explosives in his backyard or whatever. The weirdest shit though was that was in the time where they were creating courts, so I had to fly to Baghdad, sit across from this dude, oh shit, and explain to the Iraqi judge what happened. What, uh, I mean, once you saw him in the daylight and in, in person, were you surprised at what he looked like? And you were like, how did this fucking guy give me that much trouble? Or, or did it make more sense once you've kind of met no, him? No, I mean, it was like 6'2". Oh, he's a big guy. Maybe 180. Oh, okay. He was skinny. But I think once I had healed up from that, because I didn't stop um, doing ops, there's one other guy that went to go jump on me once, and I didn't give him that inch anymore. Yeah. Right back down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you saw that guy in, in the courtroom, was it was it weird seeing him? Cause like, yeah, it was uneasy as shit. They, they didn't even have him handcuffed. Wow. Was he eye-fucking you? Like, uh, I think I was winning the eye-fucking. <laughs> <laughs> I can eye-fuck you harder. Yeah. Well, yeah. I sat my pistol right in my fucking lap. I was yeah. like, I don't know what you guys are playing, but I'm playing on a different fucking level right now. <laughs> no shit. Oh, yeah. So what, uh, what was the outcome of that? He went to jail. Yeah. That was it. Just a different time. Yeah. Wow. That's fucking wild. Um, had, did you have to do that again? Did you? No. That was the only mm-hmm. only instance. I, I mean, how did your OIC sell you on that, or, or did you just say this is what's fucking happening? It wasn't going, an option. Yeah. No. Wow. Man, that's wild. Uh, you mentioned uh, you moved to a fixed blade after that. Did you ever use a knife combatively? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nope. Um, <clears throat> man, that's fucking crazy. So. Other injuries uh, that were there any other acute injuries that happened to you? Um, no, I mean, the typical joints falling apart. I mean, breaking my right leg, my left leg twice, um, double shoulder surgery. Were the were the other broken leg instances on operations? The last time I broke my left leg for the second time, I was in my backyard. Oh, shit. Throwing axes. <laughs> uh, I thought there'd be a trampoline or something. Yeah, I mean, Towards the end of it, yeah, just uh, jumping over a fence, you yeah. know, typical <laughs> Chuck shit. Norris impersonation. Uh-huh. That's great. Um, at what point, you know, once you, you had this this mentality shift uh, as you're going through this divorce, and, and that's what sends you to kind of lead the air operations for a period of time, what was the process like? When, like you go there and, and you're kind of getting the quote-unquote downtime, which probably wasn't all that much downtime, but um, – how did the transition shift to you being medically retired? So I kind of stayed in the air for about 18 months. Um, most divorces going on and different states have different time lengths on separation and, and certain things. 
Um, so we became legally separated. You know, I wanted to go back to the squadron, um, kind of did my time there, went back to the squadron briefly. And it was just, I, I couldn't fully commit the way you need to commit. Um, I'm balancing like having kids half the time and, and went to my command master chief at the time. I was like, I can't, I can't juggle this anymore. So I, I left the command and went to uh, ATC Fort Story, you know, teaches basic sniper, breacher, that kind of stuff. And um, just that was when everything slowed down and you start dealing with a lot of demons and what you haven't been addressing for the last 10, 15 years yeah. um, for me. And things changed from when I first came into, you know, at that point, uh, 2018-ish, where now they were forcing us to start talking to people, like therapists. And it was something new. It was never um, something you used to do. Just like, yeah, you got, you got skeletons, just deal with them. Um, so as the progress um, continued with some of those conversations and things slowed down, they're like, you're pretty fucked up. Yeah. Did you feel like you were? No. What do you mean? I'm fucked up. That's how everything's always been. What do you mean I'm fucked up? Not in a bad way, but just like we've been put through the ringer. And they kind of broached the subject of like, you kind of need to like retire. Um, and it's not something easy to accept. Um, they danced around that for a while until finally just like, okay, I'm good. What was the, uh, the reason or like, was there a, uh, physically, mentally, um, the amount of prescriptions I was on, um, didn't realize until at that point I wasn't really supposed to be deployable. Um, and so it was a cocktail of things, um, physically, mentally prescription and just the damage that kind of I had already gone through. And I mean, I'd be more of a liability in their eyes than anything. Yeah. Um, so they pushed it and it took me a while to accept it. But my kind of measurement was as long as I was good with looking myself in the mirror and what I had or hadn't done, I, it was okay. Um, um you mentioned as things slowed down that uh, your demons came to the surface. What was the first thing that you noticed where, or, or what, what was the, the image or the inner demon that, that surfaced where you first realized that it was happening? Well, I naturally don't want to slow down. Cause when you slow down, you have time, you have time to think about it, hurt things. Um, whether it's just, you know, gunfights your ex-wife telling you're a piece of shit um not that she did but in the event that she does um you know your kids looking at you and just having that that look on their face um the sounds being blown up did you make the right decision or not you know if i had been there would i have died with my buddy um and your crutches become more evident what were yours uh drinking Definitely, for sure. Was there a, uh, a particular poison? Uh, everything short of rubbing alcohol. Really? Huh? Hand sanitizer? Yeah, not hand sanitizer. 
No. Yeah, throw um, some fucking grape Kool-Aid powder in there with it. Yeah. I mean, so you drink anything. Anything. Yeah. yeah. Or anything else. Uh, would you Would you say that um, prescription drugs, that that there was an element of, of actual abuse, or you were just taking them the way you were supposed to take no, them? No, I was taking them. I couldn't feel anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like, nothing. You let me tell me I want a million bucks back. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. not, like, not there. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, just things slowing down, allowing enough time. And it's not easy to self-reflect on that one um, in that kind of environment. Yeah. Um, Were there decisions that you made operationally that as things slowed down and demons surfaced that contributed to that, things that you questioned or regretted or wish you had done different? Not operationally. No. Nothing that you were like, fuck, I wish I hadn't done that. No, I mean, there's, you're always want to get after it, want to be in gunfights, want to be on those missions. Um, but that was my one thing that I had to be okay with if I was going to hang it up was if I could look myself in the mirror and be okay with what I had or hadn't done, yeah. mistakes I had or hadn't. I'm not perfect. I fuck make mistakes to this day. I try and learn from them, not repeat them. Yeah. Um, you know, while I was at the command, definitely made mistakes, but learned from them. I don't know if I'd necessarily say I regret them or would want to take them back. Yeah. Um, but I, I always try to just continuously learn from those. It, if you reflect back on all 18 years uh, or so of your service, is there a single regret that you have? Not buying the Amazon stock with a dollar fifty. Fucking Bitcoin. When, yeah. You know, when you, when um, you if you'd have bought thirty bucks worth of Bitcoin when you showed up at Dam Dam Neck. I would have gone to the command sooner. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wouldn't have taken a break in between high school and going in. Um, yeah. Like, I it, wouldn't have changed anything really. Yeah. Um, so like even uh, say being a cover model for Seal of Dreams, that's not. <laughs> There's I'm going to do a book signing later. Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> you want to hit on that one, huh? Yeah. Yeah, so book modeling, um, I'm still taking uh hopefully, hopefully the audience is seeing a flash of that cover. I think I actually know what uh, what picture that is, but. Yeah? I think so. There's yeah. like a fucking tattoo on your back, and it's like, it's just your back, right, with like fucking pants on and no shirt. Yep. And there's a tattoo on your yeah, back. Yeah, that was 07 Felucia. Yeah. God, it's Photo priceless. Priceless. Uh-huh. I think I have an autographing. How uh, do you have a copy of it? You damn yeah. The missus has a copy of it. Of course yeah. she does. Mm -hmm. It's in the shitter, isn't it? Oh, love stories. <laughs> yeah, I started reading it. What uh, can you? I mean, how did that happen? Like, how did you even find out about it? Or what? What? DJ um, found out about it. And of course, oh typical God. him. He printed a bunch off and posted them all on the team. And <laughs> it. Uh, I think men's journal wanted to write an article on Navy SEALs working out in, in the, yeah. in war. Yeah. I mean, do you know how it, it got from that picture taken to being on the cover? of? A no. Yeah. Nope. Um, I think Getty images says they own it now. Yeah. Um, that article was written in, I think men's journal and men's health. They came and kind of did an article photo shoot of us working out kind of through NSW or whatever at the time. Um, and wrote that and that photographer, 
you know, how those rights go. I don't, I don't know how that photographer took that photo yeah. and got it to the book cover or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, mean, it's always been a haunting kind of. <laughs> there, there's, there's for sure far worse things to get mm -hmm. sprung on you than yeah. that. Uh, I mean, we, at least it wasn't like a fake grinder account, right? Maybe it is. Who knows? I'm sure that someone's using that as a catfish profile. Yeah, I might. I mean, I might have to. All right, so you get out and you start GBRS. Tell us about that and uh, and what the what the deal is with them. Uh, um, so yeah, breezing over transitioning uh, in the middle of COVID, we start. We decided to start GBRS um, September of 2019, so kind of pre-COVID. We we're going to be a training company that went after government contracts and provide training um, and our experience onto the next generation and try and make sure that they didn't learn the same lessons in blood and um, make it easier. Like you remember how it was difficult um, while you're in. It's just it's difficult to work and have those conversations and pass that knowledge and connect reality with training. Um, and if we identified gaps in the market on products, try and design them and make them better to help the end users. Um, so DJ and I started GBRS with that kind of in mind, had some training contracts lined up and COVID happened. Everything changed uh, drastically. Um, so January of 2020 went to SHOT Show. That was some vendors. Didn't really know if anyone would think that we were valuable or not. Some people thought we were. Um, we basically wanted to do was do training, have strategic partnerships, um, and, and be able to provide for our families. Um, was it a long time coming or was it something that was more impulsive in terms of the idea and then starting it? A little bit of both. I started my first kind of, I'll say company or adventure while I was at the command. Did all the request shits. All um, the moonlighting moon requests yep. and all, yeah. I started like an off-road truck company. I love off-road trucks. <laughs> and I was awesome. like, I don't want to pay retail. Yeah. I think I can make some money. Like, yeah. Just, um, that, that was my first ex experience and involvement with, with startup companies. And I had, that was my business plan. Yeah. Um, so I learned a lot on my own. Um, GBRS wise, like I say, I understood the back end to an extent. So I, I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, you know, sifting through 2020, still doing some training when we could. Um, people started asking for t-shirts. That was a weird of all things. Yeah, I was like, "What yeah. do you, a t-shirt of what?" They're like, "With your logo." I was like, "I literally looking. I was like, why?" Yeah, like, what's cool? I was like, "Our company's cool." <laughs> um, you think this fucking t-shirt's cool? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we evolved a lot through COVID and starting companies and trying to survive and retire and balance um, a lot of different things. Um, one aspect that was really weird was the harder we worked, the more money we made. That is weird. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it's weird. Uh, Cause you spend a lot of time in the military working really hard and you get nothing. You get the next task. Um, yeah. So yeah, GBRS was growing. Um, we kind of switched offices we got some some clients, got some employees, identified some gaps in the market, started some projects um, on gear, um, and we're kind of off to the races, um, trying to figure out as we went. Um, 
that whole media thing. Social media was a whole new thing. I didn't have social media. Um, email campaigns, marketing. We haven't. We have a full time HR. No oh, idea sure. what that was for at that point. <laughs> yeah. Employee benefits. No more dick jokes or. Uh, uh, oh yeah. We, no no we, more uh, sharp, sharpie cock and balls on the forehead when you fall asleep at the uh, office. Well, apparently, like people are asking for farts in a bag. <laughs> Good, um, good money in that yeah but no so we we kind of sifted through 2020 um covid's started kind of scaling back some we continuously refined ourselves you know stuck to our core of training and um kept growing that products t-shirts uh and strategic partnerships were a big thing to us we wanted to have strategic long-term partners um, with products that we believed in and would better lives on it yeah, and, and better for the end users. And so we've stuck to that ever since. Um, Is there a single component within GBRS that you're most proud of? Our team. Yeah. That was, that was a quick answer. No, no need to think about that. huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we wouldn't be able to do what we do without them. How, how big is the team? Just over 25 people now. Oh shit. Oh yeah. Wow. Got a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I was actually going to save that question for you to to ask you how big you you thought we were. Um, I would not have guessed twenty five. No. You know, that's that's fucking amazing. Yeah, it's, a, it's impressive and awesome, no doubt about it. What uh, what is the breakdown of like how many instructors versus support staff, et cetera? It's a like I said, it's a lot modeled after the command. So DJ and I, um, and we have some team guys that are transitioning out, um, whether they want to instruct. Uh, like we just had an interview with one two days ago. Uh, he's retiring Friday, like fully out, uh, and retiring as a CEO. No shit. Yeah. And like, Dude, that's it's gotta just, be weird. Yeah, it is. It's completely weird. Like, <laughs> like all like, right, yeah, new guy. Yeah. yeah Spanker, sit down. He's like, yeah, anything, you know, anything <laughs> you guys need. And like, I really respect you and I don't know how to tell you to pick up a um, <laughs> it is wild. it is humbling when people leave their jobs and are betting on you yeah and your decisions um can influence you know whether they can pay their mortgage or not yeah. did you um, give him the camping joke interview are you familiar with it no i mean maybe they stopped doing it uh when, on my chief's board uh for getting my trident um there was this fucking master chief that's like 47 at the time, this crusty old fucking guy, and he's like, "Let's say you and I go camping, right? You know, you're a brand new guy. I'm a master chief. We we go to La Posta or whatever. We go camping, and uh, you wake up the next morning, the first morning, and your ass is really sore, and there's a condom hanging out of it. I was like, okay. He goes, do you tell anybody? And I was like, I have heard this story. No, probably not. And he goes, you want to go camping? <laughs> And, yeah. you know, of course, the whole room erupts in laughter yeah. and whatever. But, uh, yeah, I've used that I don't know how many fucking times on in, in those similar Trustworthy people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's <clears throat> it's interesting. That's a big thing when you get out is, like, the difference. And um, you're used to, like, in the military, someone's like, I'll do it. Whether they want to or not, they'll do it. Yeah. Outside is not the same. Yeah, I know. It, it's a... It's a transition and a, and a paradigm shift. No, uh, no two ways about it. I, I do have to ask you about your stance socks that you're wearing right now that I've noticed a few times. What, what do we got here? <sighs> Is there like, a story behind those? No, nope, nope. Just comfortable just socks. Just what you're into? All right. Yeah. Um, I mean, because they do make other patterns. 
I mean, it kind of reminds me of the Hawaiian thing. Um, I mean, I'm not knocking them. Like, yeah, to I me, love, I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's great. It's a reminder of, I guess, Hawaii. <laughs> Did you get them those? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, uh, I definitely could be that person that lives on that seven-mile stretch of the North Shore for the rest of my yeah. life. I think my wife would go crazy. Surf every day. Every day. Do you I surf at home a lot? I mean, I it's not great surfing in Norfolk, right? I haven't surfed in about two years. Really? Um, that... <laughs> I haven't worked this hard in my entire life. Yeah. Wow. That's and saying it, something. Um, and I know I worked my ass off in the military, but yeah, it's, it's different. Yeah. yeah. It's different when you're an entrepreneur. I mean, I believe me, I, I'm right there with you. Yep. Um, what would you say like to, to say, what does GBRS do? Like, what is the, I know there's a lot of different things, but kind of go down the laundry list in order of importance uh, or, you know, focus maybe is a better word. Uh, I'll kind of break it up into three buckets. So training, products and strategic partnership slash marketing um, training across the board, you know, swap mill government agency, some civilians, um, some subscription stuff like our Patreon our train heroic kind of workout. Um, so both digitally and in person products, uh, tactile nylon. Uh, we have some, I brought you a gift too. Oh, sure. uh, some different products that we work on with strategic partnerships. Got got a new blade, but um, some optic mount stuff um, where you identify gaps to your project. Wow! You always get all those team guy little nuance. You know who's going to bitch. Yeah. You don't get this right, so like <laughs> yeah. it's taken us two months to make sure, or two years to make sure. Yeah. It's right. Um, That's awesome. So products, uh, we've grown our dealer network. We're in like five countries now. Wow. Um, and, and that whole product piece. And then the strategic partnerships, marketing, we want to add value to brands that we believe in and, and, and add value, um, not just give us something because of our background and, and make it better for the end users um, and, and the people that allow us this freedom still. Yeah. Um, and again, like it's a long-term thing. We don't want to be there for one night stand and we're not going to sell our souls because someone will give us a hundred grand, a million bucks and something that we don't believe in. Yeah. So it's kind of those three buckets. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Yeah. Where uh, where can people find you and, and book your guys' services for any of those three buckets? So gbrsgroup.com, gbrsgroupgear.com, Instagram, gbrsgroup. Uh, and kind of you'll find links in there that, that go everywhere. through training, gear, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, is there anything else that you want to bring up, talk about, or mention? I, uh, oh, thanks. One, I, uh, I just want to say, I'm sorry to all those parents. Like, yeah, heart goes out to them. Um, and, and kind of all, all those most recent incidents, but thank you for having me. Oh, hell yeah. I love being in Texas. Yeah. I don't oh. twist my arm too hard. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you here and I appreciate you coming, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I to get you down to Virginia beach. Dude, I'd, I'd love to check it out, man. I, I haven't been there in quite a while, so yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, again, thank you for, for taking time out of your day. I know uh, some of the stuff is, is tough to talk about, but I appreciate you, uh, sharing, uh, such an amazing life story that you have. And, um, I, I want to say, you know, for both me and, and on behalf of all the listeners, thank you for your service. You've, you've done, uh, you know, an amazing job, um, putting, putting your life on the line and, and getting your hands dirty for uncle Sam on our behalf. So we appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. 
uh, to you guys, a listener, uh, go choke yourself. That's number one. Uh, number two, I hope you enjoyed it. I know I sure did. Uh, I'm, I'm always humbled and honored to have guests of, of Cole's caliber, uh, you know, come share their story and sit down on the, uh, the casting couch. And, uh, we, uh, we collectively appreciate your support because if, if it was not there and you guys didn't tune in show after show, uh, I damn sure wouldn't be sitting here uh, doing these. So uh, thank you for your support. Appreciate it. We'll see you next time. And until then, this is Mike Drop. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.